Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Guess what day it is? Huh? Hump day! Good morning, everyone, and happy hump day from the opening drive on 101 ESPN in St. Louis, where it is 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you. I have my, uh, my here, you want to hear my volume no, up on my, I, I shouldn't do that? Okay. No. I have no idea why my volume is up on my computer, but it is. There we go. Uh, Off it, to it, a good start, Randy. Oh, we're rolling. Yeah, we're technical wizards here. Uh, 7 o'clock time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Brooke Grimsley, Danny Mack, Matthew Rocchio, Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us. And, uh, I, man, it's so nice to wake up in the morning in St. Louis after the 84 degrees that we had yesterday and have it be 28 Randy, your second alert weather was very accurate yesterday <laughs> because I was like, surely there's no way it's going to be that dramatic of a change weather-wise this it morning. It was that dramatic, and please don't call me Shirley. <laughs> That's a good reference. I still was not expecting that this morning. Why do you encourage him? Don't laugh at the, It's like old dad jokes. I know. And Rock I needs to take away it. his little sound effects thing and just, you know, Randy can't even get the show going without having the... Uh, Technical the, difficulties. Yeah. Well, that was the YouTube on the, on the computer. You oh, want me to okay. take the man's yeah. 360 was machine a, away? Was, All right. Yeah. <laughs> Chop off his foot while I'm at it. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. It's. I, I try. I try not to, but he was right. He was right about the weather. How about that? So the weather was good down in Florida yesterday. The Cardinals playing to a 2-2 draw with uh, the Boston Red Sox. Redbirds back at it today against the Mets. And Jean King got knocked around a little bit. How about Sonny Gray, though, Randy? Sonny Gray. I I was telling Brooke, man, if he can do that every start, if he can give you six innings and allow six runs every start, did he allow two? No, he allowed shutout ball. He, he two innings, two hits. So yeah, six two shutouts, two. two, but six shutout innings every every time. You he, take he, he takes them out. Yeah, zero yeah, point zero. T- That'd be better than Bob Gibson in 1968. For gosh sakes, I don't know if he'd be that good, but it, you know, I'd take it. Bob Gibson had a string of like nine inning games of what is it, 15 in a row or something mm-hmm. like that, when he got to 1.12. Yeah, and uh, I don't think anything will be, you know, it. You look at that season, and it's such a different era of baseball. It'll never be matched. No. no. Here's Ever. the thing. He threw 304 innings. Now you're happy if two get 304 innings. He had 251 wins, 255 yeah. complete games. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. So uh, good for Sonny, though, and, and good for the Cardinals to come away with a 3-3 draw against the Red Sox, whose fans, by the way, are a little bit upset because they haven't signed Jordan Montgomery yet. Hmm. And Jordan Montgomery's... Wife is a dermatology resident in Boston. He spent his his off season in Boston. I didn't know that. Yeah, apparently wants to be there, and uh, the Red Sox have yet to sign him. 
By the way, if you were holding out hope for Jordan Montgomery to land in St. Louis, it looks like, according to multiple reports now, that Jordan Montgomery is not interested in returning in St. Louis. For those who are maybe mm-hmm. holding out some hope for that happening. I think the Cardinals look at their rotation, whether you like it or not, and are satisfied with what they've got yep. because of the depth that they have that they think they have. And we'll find out if it's going to be that way as it gets tested throughout the regular season. But I think the Cardinals are... Happy with what they got. They fixed uh, the middle of the infield issue with Brandon Crawford. So this is their team, I think, going forward, barring serious injury. I am with you. I think that's what we have. Last night, CONCACAF Champions Cup action in Houston. The Dinamo was my fault. Uh, they, they blank St. Louis City SC 1-0. A clean sheeter for the Dinamo. Uh, they do indeed wear orange, and so uh, they advance. Uh, 2-2 aggregate, Houston advances on uh, away goal tiebreakers, which is really, I think, I don't know why everybody, every league doesn't do away points tiebreakers. I think that's just really a smart way to go about it. I stayed up. I was thinking that we were going to rally, but we didn't. It did not happen. Now, Matthew, Rock, I want to yeah. ask you poor, about this because it seems like health is now becoming a concern. You're playing with a patchwork back line and then it seemed like you have injury after injury after injury happening how big of a concern is that i will the one thing i will say is that the the back line wasn't the biggest issue like you're gonna put the spotlight on them um because they made the mistake that cost the goal Mm -hmm. but overall when you consider that you know you're you're dealing with guys uh out of position and akio watts playing left back um, and then Nerwinski has to kick inside to center back from where his nominal spot of right back. So, like, you're changing positions. So, and then Wenzel's in on the short-term loan. He played pretty well. So, yeah, they made a mistake that cost you the goal, but they're not the reason the City lost last night. City lost last night because they couldn't thread two passes together without yeah. turning the ball over. That's why they lost. It was uh, it was sloppy. By the way, City has won five of their last 18 matches. That's not good. That's so not good. maybe they're coming back down to earth a little bit. Other organizations take them a bit more serious. Um, I I did find it interesting, the difference in the crowd there as opposed oh, to what you see in St. Louis. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's eye-opening of what yeah. how this town supports soccer. It's great. It's, a, it's amazing. And Matthew and I were talking about it before we got on the air. City just needs to get into the greasy areas a little bit more. I just, I just you know, they need to get into the crease. They need to take away the goaler's eyes, and uh, and that's how you score in this league. You need to be a little bit more physical. You gotta, you, you never fail by going to the net. <laughs> Offsides does make it a little tricky to screen no goalies, Randy. Dan's not dealing with it. I'm just waving you off. <laughs> off to the next subject. You have to humor him. No, you don't. I've known Randy for the majority of my life. You just got to move on. That's all you got to do. You just go, come on, let's move on. You've had your say, and you just got to move on. We got some people to go to the greasy areas. We oh, just started doing you it. Stop. <laughs> stop it. Stop it. <laughs> oh, man. Is something wrong? You. I'm That's wrong. what's wrong. <laughs> you see, Dan, even if you try to get him to move on, it doesn't necessarily happen. Oh, I just I just shut up. That's how you do it. He looks at you for something to say, and I'm, nope. Just move on. <laughs> but, to, but to Brooks' point, I also think you have to consider the fact that you're usually a very high-pressing team, and that's how you created a lot on Tuesday against Houston. They didn't do that last night, and I wonder Matthew, how much they that was... string a pass together, I know, like you but said. How, I wonder yeah. how much of though that was connected to the fact that they're worried about pressuring an inexperienced backline that's playing out of position, because... That game plan looked completely different than the one that they used a week earlier against the same team. Whereas I think Houston did a lot of the same things they tried on Tuesday, the week before that City was just stopping. Sometimes why do you get sloppy? 
from when you're tired. Yeah. I, it also looked like a tired team, in yeah. my opinion. But, you know, that's part of the deal, and you got to move on like we are right now before Randy starts talking about getting in the corners and paying a price and being physical and getting to the greasy areas. I'm trying to drive us back out of the ditch. Yeah, I understand. Well, uh, I get it. Carney will get them going. They play on, uh, on Saturday against uh, NYC over at City Park. So we'll, we'll, we'll beat them. Which, yeah, NYC, right? That's yeah, yeah, New York City FC, not not Red Bull. Not so, the Red Bulls. yeah, Red Bull is the one that also plays a lot of. Red Bulls are always scary. charged up, man. They're always playing with a lot of energy. So, so Brooke, did you is, have a good day yesterday? I did have a good day right. yesterday, Dan. Yeah, what'd you do? I uh, always... just hung out, did some planning, <laughs> getting ready for Arizona right. last week. Worked out. And for people that don't know, Arizona would be your bachelorette party. Oh yes. And what yes. days are you going? I will be there from Thursday until Sunday. Thursday till Sunday in yes. Arizona. Yes. Beautiful. There we go. I now in, move on, Randall. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I ran into our uh, old friend Andy Van Slyke the other day and was uh, telling him about going to spring training in Arizona. He's, and he agrees with me. He says, that is so much better than Florida. And it is. It's really? just Because every every team is within 45 minutes of each other. And uh, they're, they're, it's a real town. Not that Jupiter's grown up and is a real town now. I mean, Jupiter's awesome. But you can go to a hockey game. You can go to a basketball game. You obviously, you can go to two games a day because you've got day and night games in Florida that are, or in Arizona that are close to each other. So uh, good for you to go to spring training in Arizona. Yeah, that's what we're doing for our bachelorette. Just fully spring yeah. training down yeah. in Arizona. You're not going to see one pitch thrown <laughs> on a bachelorette party. <laughs> what would, I, I was asking right now, I was like, is there a way that I can campaign for my bridesmaids to do that for one day? Probably not. Not a chance. Yeah, probably no, not. not a chance. Uh, last night in Winnipeg, it was also cold. Blues fell behind in the first period. 2 nil on goals by the Irishman, Sean Monahan and Brendan Dillon. Uh, and then Pavel's Navid scored for the Blues, but they lost by a score of 4-2. to Actually played probably as well as they can and still lost to the Jets 4-2. As well as they can? I. That's the thing is we've seen them play better, and so it's just kind of hurtful and a little bit confusing whenever you mm-hmm. see this happening. I thought the first period was rough. The start was rough. The Jets came out. Uh, guns ablazing. The Blues did not have a shot on goal until 537 of the first. They actually have been outscored in their last seven first periods, 12 to three. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it under Craig Berube, how they got off to slow starts and that had to change. And it looked like it was changing. Guys, in a span of 12 days, the Blues went from the potential of being up six points on the Predators. They had that Saturday game in St. Louis. I was actually at that game. I thought they were going to win. Then Ryan O'Reilly kind of took over late. And now they are six points back. So the Blues won in four since that game. And the Predators have put together a six-game winning streak. The Blues do have two games in hand. But what's kind of interesting here, I was looking at the standings this morning. So the Blues are six points out of a playoff spot, but yet four points away from being the eighth worst team in hockey record-wise. Yeah. This is who they are. And the, yeah, and they have two games in hand. This is exactly what Doug Armstrong said before everything got started. After the loss last night, and by the way, the Blues did outshoot Winnipeg 38-32. to They got out hit, but they had way more uh, attempts at the net. Here's head coach Drew Bannister. Coach Drew. Yeah, I, I mean, um, you know, find, find ourselves chasing the game early on. Um, you know, we had some opportunities in the first offensively where we didn't convert. Um, but, you know, look, I thought there was there was two mistakes in the game that made the difference um, on the third goal and then obviously on the fourth goal. Um, you know, we gave ourselves an opportunity in the second with a real good second to get ourselves back into the game. And then, um, you know, we make that mistake and, and we don't have an opportunity to tie it up at the end. But, uh, um, 
certainly a better effort, but um, we still got to find more from our group. And Bolduc with the crossbar, if he's able to score on the crossbar, then all of a sudden you have a tied game, and it's it's competitive. But the Blues obviously didn't score, and they really didn't give themselves another opportunity after that either. No, they really didn't. And with Joel Hofer, it was an okay game. I wouldn't say a great game, but at the same time, and I've talked about this with Jordan Bennington, you can't expect your goaltender to be your superhero every single game. And you're asking your goaltender to make grade A save after grade A save, and I just think that they're putting so much pressure on them when there's these little mistakes that they could really help keep away from him. I look in the second period, that could have been a huge moment there. What was it, under five minutes left to go? And Kevin Hayes, there was just a really sloppy moment there. Luckily, Joel Hofer was able to bail him out. And not trying to call out specific players because it should not be just on these guys like Kasperi Kapanen and Kevin Hayes, but there's been some big mistakes by those guys here. They were minus three. They were mm-hmm. minus three. Kapanen benched in Detroit and then had three shifts in the third period last night. So, obviously, they're not real happy with him. They had two careless plays with the puck. That led to two goals, and it shows you that they have to be precise. Mm-hmm. If they're not precise in playing pretty much their game at a high level, they're, they're just not going to win. The passing was not efficient. The top line, I'll give them credit, they did rebound mm-hmm. uh, from the, the poor effort uh, against Detroit. And now you think about the trade deadline and where you're at if you're Doug Armstrong, and maybe this gives them some clarity going into this. Buchnevich has six goals in his past six games, so if a team is looking to add some thump up front, some scoring, they might look in that direction. And the five games before the deadline, they've got the Oilers tonight, the Wild, the Flyers, the Islanders, the Devils, only one of those at home. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a tough stretch before March 8th, and that is the trade deadline in the NHL. If you're Doug Armstrong, you're listening to every Everybody. single series offer yep. right now everybody because you have to because they are showing you who they are currently who's untouchable robert thomas yeah and you talked about it yesterday brooke about how kairu says uh we need to be better mm-hmm. and in the pregame skate yesterday robert thomas and you talk about accountability he said it's on me mm-hmm. he said it's on me mentioned himself by the way robert thomas is having such a good year and i think it's going under the radar um the blues are at the bottom five on five they're like bottom five in the nhl and this guy's top 20 in points and top 15 i think in assists in the nhl so it's not like you're handing the puck to Connor mcdavid and then letting him go i you know one end of the ice to the other and you pick up an assist because he scores robert thomas is making plays he's he's having a really great year under the radar i think when you look at the big picture of the blues yeah you can obviously win a stanley cup with him I don't know if he's going to be a centerpiece to a Stanley Cup champion, if he's going to be a star guy, and he could be. Maybe he's 1A. Yeah, mm-hmm. he could be. He's He's got that sort of talent, but he just needs a supporting cast right now. And we've talked about it before. You talk about how precise they need to be. When your third line is Hayes, Kapanen, and Saad, that's a fourth line. That might not even be a fourth line. Uh, Kapanen might not be on the ice. Right. Uh, Same with Kevin Hayes, all due respect. Yeah. He was minus three last night. Yeah. So the the Blues need to upgrade their talent so that they don't need to be perfect to win games. Yep. I'm I'm with you. I I think Robert Thomas, to your point, Randy, if you got him playing with a couple of elite players, and I'm not saying that Kairou can't be that way. It seems like at times maybe he could be that way. Buchnevich is a good player, but I mean elite. Mm-hmm. It would be scary mm-hmm. to see what he could do. Yeah. Scary. Well, I'm looking forward to 
one day soon, seeing Jimmy Snuggerud on a line with Robert Thomas. We'll find out. And apparently Minnesota, they're, they're a lock for the Frozen Four. And I don't know it's, that it's going to make sense for the Blues. I don't, I don't know if the timeline will set itself up so that it'll make sense for them to start the clock. I, I don't think it would. I, I, but I, I think you made a great point yesterday. You're going to sign him anyway. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so maybe you bring him up and let him get his feet wet at the NHL level and, and maybe catch lightning in a bottle down the stretch. That's what the Blues are thinking. It's it's all dependent upon how quickly Minnesota gets knocked out yeah. of the NCAA tournament. But the, if they get knocked out in the first round, the Blues will be negotiating with him, trying to get him here. You guys think the Blues make the playoffs now? No. Six no. points out. No. No. With the Which tough schedule they have coming up. Yeah, with the tough schedule and then also how quickly things have changed. Because, Dan, I'm with you. That Nashville game, also that Detroit game, I think that maybe they were trying to get that bad taste out of their mouth with that performance last night. But still, you're not having guys step up in, in moments where they should be stepping up. Yeah. Instead, you're having guys falling behind, as we mentioned, as Kasperi Kapanen and Kevin Hayes. But there's others as well. You know, we were talking yesterday at, about Braden Shen. I loved what he did. He was outweighed by about 15 pounds mm-hmm. and got into a fight early in the first <laughs> With period. Adam Lowry. Yeah. yeah, and just trying to that's what a captain does. Yeah. And we were talking about him yesterday. It hasn't been a great year in terms of scoring and numbers that he's putting up, but that's what a captain does, and he did it last night. Blues at Edmonton tonight. We've got a 6 30 pregame, 7 o'clock faceoff here on 101 ESPN. It is hump day. It is Ask Uncle Randy Day. Get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line 314 399 9646. 314 399 Yo Your questions for Ask Uncle Randy coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. I've been around, you know. You can watch us on our Air Alliance team studio cam. Just go to YouTube and type in 101 ESPN STL. Subscribe to the channel and watch Brooke, Dan, Randy, and Matthew as we bring you Ask Uncle Randy here on 101 ESPN. Matthew Rocchio has the text with your questions for us as we really do approach spring here in St. Louis. You know what happens with spring and young love. So, Matthew, what do you got for us? Well, actually, I'm going to pivot to what else we love in spring, which is basketball. Oh, yeah. Because uh, they want to know, Randy, what is your take on the people proposing the countdown clock for fans to storm the field slash court? Who determines the use of the countdown, and would it ever be, uh, would there ever be a game, or would the at-home team's athletic trainer make the call, or would it take away from the euphoria of storming the court? I think the smart play here is just to not storm the court anymore. Once you injure a player... I, I don't think that a countdown clock makes sense. I think what you need to do is just keep people in the sands. And uh, Pretty who, simple, who, isn't it? Yeah, who, who was it? Was it Billis that said that uh, just lock all the doors if they storm the court and ar- arrest everybody? <laughs> yep. yeah. Yeah. How, how do you stop this? I feel like there has to be some sort of threat of you will be kicked out of school, possibly. I, I, I would say security with guns at knee level. Oh, Nope, that was not what I was thinking, Randy. Oh, a little much. Would stop it. <laughs> that was not what I was thinking. That's Uncle Randy for you. <laughs> well, that's true. I'm, I'm, I'm raw here. That's this is I'm, raw I'm, emotion. I'm, the real deal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I. I think what you have to do is you do have to ultimately have enough security to arrest multiple people so that randomly, if somebody does run on the court, that they can spend a night in jail and it'll cost them to run on the court. Here's the thing is that I agree with you. I think that it's gotten a little bit out of hand. And Dan Patrick actually had a great discussion about this the other day that he believes that it was ESPN that really just fired this up even more, Mm -hmm. glamorizing it because of that big moment where it kind of takes away from the big moment because we're seeing it happening so frequently. But 
at the same time, it is amazing that we haven't had that many big injuries come out of the storming of the court so far. So you have that counter argument. So this is just storming of the court. I've been thinking about what do you do in football? Remember, and I think this is one of the great moments in Mizzou history when they beat Nebraska in 03 and stormed the field. It was awesome. And there are great photos of that event. But you've got to find a way to, to stop it. And I don't. There's got to be an efficient way to stop it. And it's stupid for the SEC to to fine the schools. But I think what you have to do is you have to make it prohibitive for people to wind up on the on the field. What you do is what Auburn has is that you have those bushes. So the fans will still go out in the field, but you slow them down and possibly trap them. And maybe bushes <laughs> with uh, rose bushes or something. No, not those. What about, as you said, a countdown clock, other team gets off the floor, yeah. and then at that point, let them do what they want. I mean, because they're not going to hurt, yeah. you would think, the home team. And if you're worried about issues with the opposing player getting hurt, then that's the way to do it. If you're going to do it, that's probably the best way to go about it. Yeah. Mizzou, by the way, arrested uh, like eight or nine kids uh, when they stormed the field after Oklahoma, and then there was a grassroots effort by the entire campus to get the charges dropped, and eventually Mizzou did. Ah, that's so. great. So the uh, mob the rule, baby. Three one four says football and basketball. It's common, but can you imagine an MLB field getting stormed? It's happened. I can <laughs> yeah. I was in one. The 1982 <laughs> World Series. Yeah. They were all on the field. Mark Lamping used to tell me all the time, I'd wa- I walk out of my office and there I see your face as an usher <laughs> uh, out on the field. Dear Uncle Randy, my boss is complaining that I'm not giving my 100%. I don't know how he knows. I have never given my 100%. How should I play this? Well, you, you see, let's hope, first of all, that the boss isn't listening, okay? But your boss has to understand. Well, not he doesn't have to understand, but you have to understand. You can't give 100% because, as we know, if you give 100%, then your boss will expect that on a regular basis. So what you have to do is say, I'm, I'm doing my best. You, a little fib. But uh, tell your boss, hey, I am giving 100%. I don't know what more you want from me. I think that's the, the approach to take here. Do you give 100%? Never. John is probably <laughs> listening. Kiowski. He's uh, our boss. Yeah, he's... Remember you said he, yeah. hopefully your boss isn't listening. Yeah, well... Uh, and here's what I hope, is that my 85% is good enough. Brooke, do you give 100%? 100% every single day, Dan. Me too. John, Rock? you hear that? You guys are... Yes. You guys are gamers. We're just not very good, I guess, because your 75% just uh, 85% outshines good. us every single morning. Well, I just, I, I just have a belief that once you give 100%, then you have nothing more to give. Hmm. And I, I always want to have that little extra in the holster just in case. Maybe my last day ever here, I'll give 100%. Maybe. We'll see. That's a long time away, though. We'll see. I like to keep people guessing. Am I giving 85%? Is my talent just this mediocre? You'll never know. <laughs> Dear Uncle Randy, trying to find a place to eat for breakfast this morning, and you had to pick one between Waffle House, Denny's, or IHOP. Where are you going? Ooh, that's good. Okay, I'm going to do IHOP. Uh, I'm a pancake guy all the way. The chocolate chip pancakes at IHOP are great. The moon's over my hammy. Can't go wrong. Or that's at Denny's. Moon's over my hammy is at Denny's. I uh, definitely have an allegiance to IHOP over Denny's and Waffle House. So I would go International House Pancakes. I'm going with IHOP as well. They have a great menu. Mm-hmm. Pancakes, of course, are the highlight there. But they also have a really good buffalo chicken sandwich. Just going to mm. randomly put that out there. Good breakfast food, yeah. Mm. Of course. Yeah. Isn't that how you start your day? Mm-hmm. Give me some chocolate chip pancakes, IHOP. Number All one right. on the list. How about that? 
Yeah. So uh, I'm glad you're uh, looking, and I'm glad you texted in. Ask Uncle Randy. Always has an answer for something like that. I'm always waffle. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, always, I'm always Waffle House. Yeah. Do you give 100 percent on your eating? Yeah. You, <laughs> you look good, Randy. No <laughs> <laughs> place else gives me smothered and covered hash browns. I'm just saying. Thank you for bringing in the donuts this morning. By the way, Thank no, you, no problem. We appreciate I, it. I'm trying pol- to polish them. one off. Uh, I appreciate that. I needed it. Dear Uncle Randy, a friend of mine is getting married. How can I ask another friend to be my plus one, or is it too weird because she's just a friend and I shouldn't be doing that? Nope. You want a plus one, and you just say, hey, I'm going to a wedding in a couple of weeks. You want to come along? Sure. No. Is, uh, and one thing that we have to know that we don't know the answer to, is the wedding in town? Makes a difference if the wedding is in town. But if the wedding is in town and you ask a just friend to be your plus one, that's cool. So if it's out of town, maybe you're rooming together is where you're yeah, going with that's, this. Yeah, that's where I'm going with okay. this, yeah. The phrasing of this is interesting because he's saying she's just a friend. So is he worried about that there's an implication that if you take her to the wedding, that you're looking for something more in that relationship? And how often does it happen that the guy friend zones the girl? That never happens. So I don't think you have anything to worry about. If, if you consider her a friend, yeah. if, if you two are friend zoning it cool if, if if you're looking at it that way from the male perspective you're cool and it can be fun it's all good yeah three ones four says how often does randy win the fight if he gave 100 oh, percent hmm. see know. i they're, they're catching on this one randy <laughs> i think they think you give 100 percent all the time and i'm with them um so randy's lost i want to say it's probably six fights this year and we're two months in, so that's about 40 shows. So looking at like 34 and 6 over the last two months. Pretty good. Roughly. Pretty good, Randall. Sounds like 100%. Mm-hmm. Well, the I effort is there. I don't like losing. Okay. <laughs> he forces me to put 100% effort in. That's for damn sure. <laughs> hey, Uncle Randy, coming from a Dallas fan, do you think it's possible for Dallas to win a Super Bowl with Dak Prescott as the quarterback? I do, but I don't think it's possible for Dallas to win the Super Bowl with Jerry Jones as their owner. So uh, I, I think you had a problem there until uh, he leaves this earth. And you're still going to have the AI, are we not, Brooke? Oh, the AI, the AI Jerry Jones will always be here. Yeah. So I, I think that's the problem. I do think that <laughs> Dak Prescott is capable of being a Super Bowl winning quarterback. If Trent Dilfer is capable of winning, uh, being a Super Bowl winning quarterback, if Brad Johnson is capable of, uh, of being on a Super Bowl champion, than uh, Dak Prescott is, too. And he's got all the talent around him. Now, I don't know what they're going to do at running back, but they'll be fine. But if you have C.D. Lamb as your number one guy, they have had a talented offensive line for a long time. Uh, Dak Prescott, I mean, the reason that they didn't lose in 2022, that they did lose to San Francisco, is because Pollard got hurt, and that screwed up their... Uh, their game plan. And then this year, he had nothing to do with the fact that Green Bay lit him up. Wasn't it 27 nothing Green Bay, like in a mm-hmm. blink? So uh, that had nothing to do with Dak. It had, a lot, I think, more to do with their approach defensively. So I'm not going to blame Dak Prescott for them allowing 48 points. I'm just imagining AI Jerry Jones being carted out for his usual press conference where he talks about how he thought that they had a chance for the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll uh, see that forever and ever. Yeah, This one hurts. This one hurts me to my core. That's <laughs> fine. Dear Uncle Randy, I got engaged a few months ago and I'm going over the wedding budget and I could buy two of my cars with this thing. Should we just elope? Well, Uncle Randy uh, doesn't have the full knowledge of what's going on here if your bride is amenable to just eloping yes but my guess is is that if you are in the midst of planning and finding out how expensive it is she's probably not on board so my suggestion would be just to follow along and 
let her have what she wants in terms of the wedding. And weddings are expensive these days. And yes, you'd like to have a different car. You'd like to have a down payment on a house. But <laughs> it's her day. And so... Those seem very yeah. logical things to, yeah. to spend money on, Randy, it, it, instead they, of a they seem like, party yeah. for other people. But it, at the end of the day, it's her day. Okay. And uh, you let her plan out the wedding. And uh, hopefully she's not a person and you're not a person that cares more about the wedding than the marriage. Elope. Just a lot. Yeah, if you can convince yes, her to a look. But also, from, have a conversation about it. From I'm going through the wedding planning, planning process. Right now, yeah. It is so crazy how just insane the wedding industry has gotten mm-hmm. at this point. It feels like there's just one thing after another. Well, okay, this is typically what you do with weddings now. I'm like, how many things are there to include with this? I do understand. And, of course, I'm very, very happy to be able to have this wedding. You know, I'm an only child, and so... For my parents, I know it's very important. Mm-hmm. For David's parents, it's important as well. But every once in a while, David and I look at each other and we're like, we should have just eloped. We should have just we should have just kept it simple. Maybe just have like a few can. family friends. Or, no, we're we are way past that I point. A lot of money down payments. Huh? Yeah, too many. We can't get those checks yeah, back. So. Yeah, we do that too. Yeah. All right, you got one more, is that No, it? I just think it's funny that about seven texters all pointed out that uh, thirty-four and six is exactly eighty-five percent. Hmm. So everyone's going well. I think we figured out Randy's percentage. There you go. <laughs> I, didn't, I had the fact that it came out to exactly eighty-five percent is insane. Yeah. <laughs> I should probably try to get it to ninety. <laughs> I don't know. You talking about effort level or winning percentage? Winning percentage. Oh, okay. No, effort level is not going to change. It is what it is. I'm too old to change now. Uh, we appreciate your text. Thank you very much for your joining us on Ask Uncle Randy. Coming up with the additions of Marp and Craw, do the Cardinals have the best bench in the National League? That's next on 101 ESPN. The smartest way to do your homework is Heckman Lumber. Warm weather means homework for homeowners. And if your homework means a new deck, then turn to the deck experts at Hackman Lumber. Browse the largest inventory of decking materials and deck accessories in Missouri at Hackman Lumber Company. Talk with their experts about treated lumber, cedar, timber tech, Trex, Envision, Azek, and decorators to find the best deck for you. Check out endless choices of railings, balusters, and LED deck lighting options. Hackman Lumber Company will not be undersold on in-stock decking materials guaranteed. You can choose to do it yourself with Hackman's expert advice, or they can recommend reputable contractors to do the work for you. Stop by and see Hackman's expanded paint department, too, with brushes, rollers, painter's tape, and four different lines of interior and exterior paint. Custom color match available. Visit Hackman Lumber's newly remodeled stores in St. Peter's and Pacific, or their showroom in Troy, Missouri. Hackman Lumber. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. What 
of the aspects to the 2023 Cardinals was their lack of experience off the bench. It was essentially, aside from Andrew Kisner, uh, a rookie bench. You, you had Luke and Baker running around. You had Taylor Motter, who had not had a, a, a great run. You, you saw Oscar Mercado for a while. You, you really didn't have people that had been around the block. And uh, Brooke and Dan, I go back to the 2000 Cardinals, where they had Eduardo Perez, who'd been around, who'd spent a lot of time as a bench player, knew how to become a pinch hitter. Eric Davis, Sean Dunstan, Will Clark came over later uh, because McGuire got hurt. And you had people that had gone through the wars of being in September and knowing how to take a professional at bat. And it's really hard for a rookie that's been playing, playing, playing his entire career to learn how to become a pinch hitter and come in and face a really hard-throwing pitcher, a really good relief pitcher in the eighth inning while cold. That was one of the things that John Mabry did a really good job of here. He learned how to become a pinch hitter and then was really good at allowing young players to blossom as bench players because it's probably the hardest thing to do is to come off the bench cold in baseball against a relief pitcher who's got it going. And the Cardinals have gone from one extreme to the other with their bench. Last year was essentially a rookie bench. Now you add Carpenter, you add Crawford, you've got some people there that have had a little bit of time on the bench. And if you look around baseball now, one of the problems they have is that the middle class has been squeezed out. And there aren't those veteran bench players that the Cardinals have now. I really like the idea of being being able to bring a professional hitter that's played in winning situations off the bench rather than essentially a rookie. And I think the Cardinals made good moves in bringing in, not just from a leadership standpoint, but from a pinch hitting standpoint, in bringing in guys like Carpenter and, uh, and Crawford. Not that they're going to hit a pinch hit home run every time they're at the plate, but you got a runner at third with less than two out there, people that are going to make an effort to get their bat on the ball. Here's the thing is that I don't disagree with you. I think that depth is very important for your bench, especially somewhat of a veteran presence. But I also have some concerns because what about when we talk about all the time about worrying about the Cardinals not fully giving a chance to some of their younger players? And you do have a lot of young players with potential, and you want to see that ceiling if they're able to reach that. And by bringing in Brandon Crawford, which I am all for the signing, I want to make that very, very clear. I think this makes a lot of sense of adding that depth. But then you also have Matt Carpenter here, and it's taking away possibly at-bats and learning opportunities for some of these younger players that you have coming in. As pinch hitters, just by the Mm -hmm. way, Crawford, 49 at-bats, 163 batting average, 684 OPS, and you have Matt Carpenter, 147 at-bats as a pinch hitter and a 177 average. Honestly, there's some times where I would like to see Alec Burleson. I'm sure he's still going to get a chance as a pinch hitter, but don't you have a little bit of a concern of this possibly taking away some of those chances and opportunities for the younger players? I think it's a legitimate point, legitimate question, and I guess they would respond by saying, we could either keep him on the bench and he doesn't play a lot, or we continue to try to make him grow and send him to the minor leagues. I'm sure Alec Burleson would say, I'll take the paycheck of the major leagues mm-hmm. and the travel, and I'll be happy to pinch it. As you mentioned, Randy, it is one of the hardest jobs in sports, and I think it's gotten harder because of the special specialization of bullpen guys, guys throwing you know ninety eight to hundred with great sliders or sweepers, and uh, and they... <laughs> oh. <laughs> I had to throw it out there for you, Randy. Um, the split finger, you know, the, it, it's tough. And I, I know Brooke, you gave those numbers, and I I just don't put a lot into it because I don't know who is a great pinch hitter in the game today anymore. Uh, you know, Lenny Harris made a, a career out of it where he was just a phenomenal pinch hitter coming off the bench. 
Do I think, though, that these guys will give you quality at-bats coming off the bench? I do. I, I just don't think they're going to be overmatched in any situation. May not come through, but I don't think they'll be overmatched. And that's what I'm looking at is the experience of a guy like Gerald Perry or Milt Thompson or uh, Shawan Dunstan, Sean Dunstan, uh, Eric Davis, uh, Eduardo Perez brought to the table. I've seen it work for really good teams. And yes, it, it's a league now where you want to pay guys the minimum. But is it worth it to give a guy like Alec Burleson 150 at-bats, or would he be better off getting more at-bats and hopefully ascending to an everyday role? What's interesting is that once you have uh, Tommy Edmond get healthy, Mm -hmm. um, what do you do? (laughs) Just assuming that everybody stays healthy, and then you're going to have a decision to make, and Burleson would be that guy with options. Does it make the Matt Carpenter signing just a little bit more confusing in this situation? Because... What is his role going to be now that you have Crawford on your bench as well? I, I was uh, when they signed Carpenter. I said I hope he doesn't get a hundred at bats, and they either misread or had no idea the severity of Tommy Edmonds' injury. That's Let's what this all that. comes back to, right? I, I think so. Yeah, I, I think so. And at that point in time, you were trying to add veteran leadership, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, the the, the playing field changed mm-hmm. because of this injury. Um, and I, I, you know, I really don't have any problem with it. I, I had no problem with the Brandon Crawford signing. Um, things have a way of, of playing itself out over six months. So if he comes out there and doesn't produce and looks completely overmatched, then he, along with the team, will have to make a tough decision. And it's important for those players specifically to lead. The most experience the Cardinals have, whether it's in their coaching staff or on their team, is Matt Carpenter and Brandon Crawford. The manager is inexperienced. The bench coach is inexperienced. Uh, Stubby Clapp has been here for a couple of years. But here's my point. I think the players in that clubhouse, especially the young players, are more inclined, and clearly Arenado, are more inclined to listen to a guy that's won a couple of World Series. He's been on four All-Star, or he's won four gold gloves. He's been on three All-Star teams. And those kids watched Brandon Crawford playing in the World Series. They're more inclined, I would think, to listen to Brandon Crawford's tips than even their manager's tips. I I do get that. Now you definitely have a lot of veteran voices in your clubhouse Mm -hmm. and now on your bench, and I can see the value in that, and the depth is always a good thing. I just think about, specifically, I keep going back to Alec Burleson, giving him an opportunity here, because as somebody also pointed out in the text line 314, he is 24. He is either needs to be at Major League Baseball at bats. He either needs, excuse me, Major League Baseball at bats, or you need to deal him. So what is the situation, you think, with Alec Burleson? And number one, you've got a DH that was hurt for a lot of last year yeah. in Nolan Gorman. You have Brendan Donovan, who was hurt for a lot of last year. So you have to have bench strength. And I'm specifically talking for a guy that comes off the bench to pinch hit, which you might not need much of. But... I've never seen a team that had too many good players. And if I can have Alec, Bur- if Alec Burleson, who hit 330 in the minors, can be a part of my team and can be a good hitter, I'm not going to complain about having too many good guys on my team. No, no, I'm not either. It is amazing, to your point, Randy, that some of these guys, when Brandon Crawford and Matt Carpenter were doing their things, these, these guys are like 9 and 10 years old. Yeah, right. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. they, literally, they were 9, 10. I think Burleson was 11 when Crawford was in the World Series of mm-hmm. 2010. If I'm those young players, I'm at the hip of these guys. Mm-hmm. How are you preparing? What are you doing in terms of what you watch throughout the game? As a pinch hitter, what are you watching throughout the game? What kind of video are you looking at? Sometimes too much information can uh, paralyze a player at the plate. 
tendencies of watching video, all those things need to go into being a good pinch hitter. And I would assume that these guys can help them a ton in that regard. And I can't sit here and talk once a week about how, man, the the professional player that you give four or five million dollars to has been squeezed out. There's no more middle class. And then when the Cardinals get him, I can't complain about no. them getting that guy. I, I want professionals. And that's regardless of what their abilities are on an everyday basis right now. And we know they're both diminished. They aren't what they were. But I know they're professionals. And I, I like having those guys on my team. I agree with you. I think that it's important to have the professionals and the veteran leadership. I just think that sometimes it makes the Matt Carpenter signing a little bit more confusing. I agree with you guys. I think that they didn't know the severity of Tommy Edmund. Mm-hmm and when he exactly would be available. So that's a, that's a big concern that you have. But I also hate to see young players miss potential opportunities. I would look at this being a situation, too, where Carpenter's got to show a little bit in spring training. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's got to show just a little bit, not a ton, but to, to show that he's not done. you got to yep. show that you're not done, because if you do, then that's an issue going into opening day. And Brad Thompson has a great line that he uses all the time, and Alec Burleson is sitting there. Lars Newtbar is there. Jordan Walker doesn't have a hit yet in spring training. If you don't like it, play better. It's true. If you don't <laughs> right. like things that are going on, play better. Yeah. They'll, keep, they'll find a yet? place for you. No, they have no. not. No. Huh. So, got to get that going, too. I'm get that power that game Oh, we're, we're fine. We're, we, we Don't believe what you see in March. Coming up here on 101 ESPN. You agree with that, though, don't you? Yes, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Uh, we've got Take It or Leave It coming your way, and we've got the text line open for you. 314-399-9646. 314-399-YO-HO. Take It or Leave It coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. 9646. And give us your take it or leave it. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final offer. Take it or leave it. All right, it is time for Tioli. All you need to do is get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646, 314-399-YOHO. YOHO. Yay. YOHO. You left so, me on the sidelines going into the break, so now I'm prepared for it. I just wanted you to do a later YOHO so that you more people it. had the opportunity to hear it. Okay, uh, you know Tom Brady and Giselle, or Splitsville. Uh, and uh, so, but Tom Brady was still playing and they were still together in 2021. She has a new boyfriend named Joaquin Valente. And Tom is claiming that she was together with Joaquin in 2021, that she was stepping out on Tom. Take it or leave it. You believe, Tom, that Giselle would do that? Hmm. I'm so, where did it. he reveal this at? Uh, let's see. It was. Uh, she, uh, she wants to have people believe that she's uh, the Daily Mail. He uh, talked to her exclusively. Hmm. Uh, actually, no, it wasn't him. It was uh, one of his close friends. What kind of instructor is she? Uh, uh, Joaquim, I think, is a personal trainer. All right, I'm sorry, he is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I know. No, there's like jujitsu or something like that. Something yep. specific. But they've been together for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was uh, not what I wanted to hear on this Wednesday morning. And, <laughs> I didn't want to hear it or read it last night. I was really upset about it, and that's why I think personally I need to leave it. Another source said, they started out as friends. He was a huge comfort for Giselle when she went through her divorce. Their friendship turned romantic after the divorce. I'm going to go with Tom's sources here. Yeah, I think I might have to leave it too. But here's the thing is, 
Tom did put out there that he was going to retire and then unretire. Who knows how long that that's been mm-hmm. going on? I'm sure there was a lot of issues in that marriage. I Maybe wonder. she didn't want him to play anymore, and he wouldn't do it. Well, I think that's, yeah, I think that's what it was. And She said, I'm going to kick you yeah. out. Yep, and then he could have played last year. He could have played for the Niners last year and didn't. You think he comes back one more time? No, I think he's, he didn't come <laughs> back because Shanahan called him up and asked him to come. Yeah. If he didn't want to play for his childhood team, then I don't think he was going to play anymore. Yeah. Take it or leave it, guys. There should only be one national pancake day. I'm going to leave it. that. Yeah. Uh, Make as many as you want. Yep. With free pancakes. It is very confusing because we had somebody text in and brought to our attention that today is National Pancake Day. And so then when you go and Google it on IHOP's website, they're saying that it already happened. Apparently, IHOP has their own version of the National Pancake Day. And then you have your actual version today, which is National Pancake Day. I have to go with the uh, the National Days calendar. I'm going to go with the official. Is it The National Days calendar has today? Yeah. That I'm going with uh, the, the National Days calendar because that's, that's what I go with. Now I want a pancake. There's donuts uh, back there, though. I, I, Dan, I am trying to forget that those are right behind me. They're just like looming behind me right now. <laughs> I saw Rockhead. I had one. Did you have one yet, Randall? I have not, no. Okay, dive in. Loom. Uh, here's the thing. The uh, uh, love IHOP. Uh, those chocolate chip pancakes that are occasionally delivered from across the street at First Watch are the Pretty best. Good. They're, yeah, they're, they're spectacular. Huge. They're wonderful. Yeah. All right, take it or leave it. We saw golf played under the lights again recently with the match. Because of all the defections to live, the PGA Tour needs to be a little proactive in getting more people to watch the sport. So put on a made-for-TV PGA Tour event under the lights where they can play it in primetime. Love Ooh, that idea. I do Remember love that Remember when the idea. U.S. Open was in, was it Seattle? Uh, Joe Buck was doing it on yes. Fox. It was up at, uh, oh, it's going to escape my mind. But, yeah, they were up there, and the, they complained about the course mm-hmm. the players did because yeah. it was just ridiculous. And it wasn't under the lights. It was just West Coast. But right. I love the idea of playing under the lights. I think that would be really cool. I love West Coast events because they last in the central time zone until yeah. about 6 or 7 o'clock at night. It's right. great. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. there's also an advantage to being in the Pacific time zone because everything's over by 10. Exactly. I'm gonna so it's that. nice. Yeah, that's a great idea. I love that. I just like to see it. I, I was watching the PGA Tour over the weekend, and I'm a huge, as you guys know, golf fan. And I'm looking at the leaderboard, and I'm going, this is boring. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- it's great golf if you're watching it, but you don't know who any of these guys are. That's a problem. And uh, that's that's one thing that Liv has done. If they wanted to dent the PGA Tour, they've done that. I, I don't know that they've helped themselves, but they sure have dented the PGA Tour. Chambers Bay. That's it, yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Chambers Bay. Because even Jay Delsing was on that telecast. Right. And we yep. talk about it a lot, how he said, I love this. He said, Bryson DeChambeau went up to Jay Delsing and said, Mr. Delsing, um, if you have any, he was with his group. If you have any questions about what I'm doing today, feel free to come up and ask me or my caddy. That's oh, awesome. It, wow. I love it. So now I'm a Bryson DeChambeau fan. There you go. That's nice. Good. Yeah. All right, uh, Matthew, what do you got on the old text line there? Take it or leave it. Waffles are better than pancakes. Uh, it's totally a coin flip. Depends on the day for me. What about chocolate, though? Chocolate chip uh, pancakes? Choc- you can't You cannot bypass those, bro. You can Damn, do chocolate chip waffles. I make chocolate chip waffles. I don't care. Pancakes are better. <laughs> yeah, it depends on my day for me. Now, I don't know if you were here, but the day that, uh, and here we are closing in on four years, but the day the world shut down in 2020, I was instructed to go pick up stuff 
for the long term. We, it was going to be the apocalypse. And one of the things that I picked <laughs> up, in addition to my ribeyes and my propel, uh, I did pick up a 10-pound bag of Krusty's waffle and pancake mix. And w- literally for more than a year, had uh, waffles and pancakes, and it was great. So Krusty's <laughs> Mix at Costco is really good. How did you guys do your jobs? Were you at home? Did they, is that how they did it? I never had a day at home. Okay, so you were here the and then time. properly separated, that kind yep, of thing. Yep. Really? How about for you guys, Brooke, on uh, TV? On TV, we did take all of our equipment home. We just did sportscast TV mm-hmm. from home. Wow. So everybody got to see our living rooms. It was great. Yeah. I actually kind of enjoyed seeing everybody's living rooms. I wonder if other people did around that time because I'm very nosy and I like to mm-hmm. see what you have going on in the background. So I I was very careful of what I had behind me. I'm so with you. When I watch like when ESPN goes to Adam Schefter or somebody that's an insider, I find myself not paying attention to what they're saying, but looking at their bookshelf. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what I do all the time. Yeah. And there's a website, or it was a Twitter page, that uh, talked about the, the background that people had or the rooms that they were in, mm-hmm. their, their Zoom rooms. Take it or leave it. Advancing in a tournament because of away goals is one of the reasons that most Americans do not enjoy soccer. Play a third game like a normal sport. I, I'm going to leave <laughs> that because I didn't even know that existed until this thing started. You didn't? No. I, I knew it, and I don't like it. I, yeah. I don't either. No. If, I feel I feel the same way, Dan. Yeah. Hey, let's play a best of three. Come best on. Best of three, best of five, best of seven. That's what I like. Yeah. You get some nasty rivalries. You get guys being uh, a little uh, open with their injury time. Mm-hmm. You, you get guys that are trying to hurt each other. Oh. Hey, count me in. SC had two guys with torn ACLs on the same play last night. And then uh, they both got up and were back in the game like four minutes later. Terrible, Randy. What else you got, Rock? (laughs) They are leaving. At least four current Blues will be gone by the deadline. Leave it. Four? Leave it. By the deadline? Yeah, I'm going to have to leave that. Who would want four of them? Yeah, really. (laughs) I mean, I don't mean that disrespectfully, but. It's it's very fair, yes. Because who would the four be, honestly, if we were thinking about it? You'd want Thomas. You'd want Bujnevich. You'd want Cairo, maybe. Mm -hmm. Bennington, maybe. If they get overwhelmed for Butchnevich. But see, now with Falk back, maybe you move Scandella. I think Scandella could be one that comes a, to a last pairing guy for a playoff team. He's yep. a pretty nice player. Yeah. But no, the, there's there just aren't enough. <laughs> they need bodies here. That's one thing we tend to forget is they need bodies to actually play the games, too. Yeah. So you can't get rid of four guys. Can you even move Kapanen at this point? No. I don't think so. Not the way that he's played here in the last two games. No. He's had enough chances. Toronto and Pittsburgh and now uh, here. He's... Uh, he's probably he's probably ready to be playing EA Sports uh, NHL 2K next year. <laughs> all due respect. With all, I don't know. If, I don't know because you say all due respect at the end there that that helps. I, I, that, right? It softens it. <laughs> <laughs> it just softens the blow. Thank you, Matthew. You're welcome. Coming up on 101 ESPN. Why is leadership missing in sports? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Give on the day's top stories. It's the Opening Drive's fresh take. Check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Brooke, Dan, and Randy. And Dan has teenagers, so Dan, uh, you have an interesting look into the, the minds of young people. We were talking about this yesterday in the office, about how last year the young players on the Blues didn't want to really follow one of the great leaders in the game right now in Ryan O'Reilly. And 
it, it seems to me, and I started covering sports and being around athletes in the early 80s, and players followed leaders. And there were some players that were naturally followers and some players, Tommy Hur, Keith Hernandez, that were naturally leaders. And I'm wondering now why there seem to be so many more followers and so fewer leaders. Well, I got a lot of thoughts on this. Okay, first of all, I think it's become a situation where in pro sports, how do you get paid? You, you, if you're a leader, process. You're, yeah. yeah, I mean, if you're a leader, stats. exactly, you get the the stats. So leadership sometimes in baseball is done getting a bunt down, hitting behind the runner, knowing where to throw the cut, you know, fundamentals. And a lot of these kids don't know that. And in terms of like my kids, one of the first things that they do, they go on Instagram to look at sports. And what do you see? Individuals individual accomplishments reels of individuals it's a society of i gotta get mine mm-hmm. and i it, it's not great it's espn all day and the highlight shows and then on instagram or however you consume some of your sports highlights it's individualized and i think that you know in this generation of these kids coming up that's what you see does that make sense yeah it does make a lot of sense and i think that it's very fair because we keep seeing this being talked about over and over again you even have miles michaelis just a few weeks ago when he was on foul territory i think a week ago where he talked about the connectivity issues sometimes with the older players and the younger players where they're having a hard time doing that because miles you know he'll go out or he would go out and go golfing with adam wainwright and now he wants to do the same with some of the younger players and they would rather play video games mm-hmm. it reminds me of patrick maroon said the same thing about how there's a big difference in the locker rooms now if where you have these older players. And when I say older, they're really not that much older, but just a different type of generation and things that they maybe like to do. And around they were around other veteran players prior. And he mentioned that as well, is that it's hard to connect with those younger players because they just want to play video games. I'm sure not all of them are like that, but you're seeing more of that distance between the two. I think another thing that's happened, and believe me, this is a good thing but it's not good for sports is the anti-bullying approach and education in schools which is great i'm glad that schools are doing it it's important but i think when we get into a sports locker room a professional sports locker room sometimes uh leadership is misconstrued as bullying and we talked the other day about Bolduc coming out and taking his first lap mm-hmm. Zadino Chara stopped that in the with the Bruins when he was their captain. They don't do that anymore. They want to accept every rookie as part of the team now. So the rookie doesn't go out and skate his own lap anymore. They say, okay, we want you to be, be part of the team. We don't want you to be thought of it. We don't want you thinking that you're out there on your own because that applies a lot of pressure. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was a, a big kerfuffle about Bud Norris and Jordan Hicks. And Bud Norris was... Maybe he didn't approach it in the right way, but he he was trying to teach Jordan Hicks about being a major leaguer. Now, did he do it in the right way? No, but it was perceived as bullying on the part of Bud Norris when I think if Bud Norris had done the same thing 15 years earlier, it was he was being a leader. He was trying to help that guy learn how to go to deal with the ropes of the, the major leagues. Thanks. I think about how far it's gone and changed uh, with baseball, where every time that they indoctrinate the rookies to the team it's done in a very light-hearted way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it did not used to be that way maybe guys show up in disney costumes or dresses or whatever they're going to do whatever they have to wear that's out of their comfort zone and they do it as a team and that's kind of their way to say okay you have x amount of service time where you're a rookie and now you've got to do this and now you're part of the quote unquote the club and it's it's just an easy way to to do that and to your point randy it used to be a lot different than what they're doing now and they don't do that 
anymore, do they? They don't have. I the think rookies? they still do. Okay, good. Yeah, I think they still do. They do, and it just seems like you're creating more divide. Because to your point too, I'm sure when Bud Norris, when he was a rookie, he probably went through way more mm-hmm. when it came to. I wouldn't even say bullying, but maybe some of the pressures that are surrounding it kind of a way to bring you into the league, essentially. And I think that there's good and bad that comes with it, because, of course, you never want to advocate for bullying and harassment, Mm -hmm. because that's where it's a very it could be a very thin line there. But at the same time, I think that sometimes some of these younger players maybe do not understand that they're trying to push you to your full potential and maybe get to see some of your own mistakes and help mm-hmm. you improve. It's not coming maybe from a place of malice sometimes, but more to help you grow into the player that you're supposed to be. And my impression was that it was more a rite of passage to become yep. a member of the group. It used to be that the rookie relief pitcher would have to wear a pink backpack with the snacks for the bullpen guys. Every day. Every day. Yep. Out, out to the bullpen. They don't do that anymore. Uh, it, it used to be that uh, rookies in the NFL had to carry the shoulder pads of veterans during training camp in, into the locker room. They, do, they don't do that anymore. And it was just things that, okay, once you did it, then you got accepted and you're, and you're part of the group. Now, you, you and I don't know if this has anything to do with performance or not. I really don't. But it just doesn't seem like we're building teams like we used to. The the cohesiveness, the camaraderie that we used to have. I, I would say one guy that's kind of bucked that trend is Brendan Donovan. And mm-hmm. he has gone out and tried to reach out to players and understand that now he's got a couple of years under his belt. And it's not only about trying to put up numbers individually, but trying to have the team win. And I, I just wonder how how important is it for guys to win? Yes, you know that 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 has changed a lot because I think the money has changed so much to where winning was going to keep you together and potentially get to you some money. Where now the individual statistics that you get, that's how you get paid, and so it's a different era in sports. It is. It's. It seems like that mentality has been lost of the team mentality mm-hmm. and not the I mentality. And you've seen specifically with baseball, I think that arbitration has really changed mm-hmm. some of the players' approach and thought process in that because then they go into arbitration and they see, oh, this really is just about my individual statistics. We heard what Josh Hader said not too long ago, and then they take that into the game and that mentality of, well, if I want to get paid and I want to get the money that I think I deserve, then I do have to only worry about myself. And it is a part of the business, but that is hard to kind of deal with. And then you see also on the hockey side of things, just bringing it back to the Blues, it seems like we keep talking about connectivity issues with this Blues group over and over again. Dan, you pointed this out earlier. Robert Thomas's statement, it did take him a few days to talk about it, the benching that happened in the Detroit game. But he said, as a leader, it's on me before anyone else. Now you compare that to Jordan Cairo's statement where you didn't hear him say, I, me. It's we as a team didn't play well. There's a big yeah. difference in statements there. Right. And, and those are your physically best players, right? I think that those guys need to lead this way. This was a great quote from Patrick Mahomes before the, before the Super Bowl. He said, I loved winning those two Super Bowls, but the Super Bowl that sticks with me is the one I lost because he hates losing so much. And the common thread between those great Cardinal teams under Tony La Russa, because it came from the top, hated losing. The greatest show on turf, they were talented, but you know what? They hated losing. Every single one of those guys hated losing. And I think that's one thing we've lost with the individualism that you're talking about and all the individual drills that kids start when they're five years old in the process. There's nothing tied to a W or an L. 
and not n- nothing, but very little tied to a double W or an L. And I think that's one of the issues that we have is those people that hate losing, like Mahomes, are able to lead and get their teams to succeed, but we just don't have enough people like that. I, I would say this, and I don't know Patrick Mahomes, I don't know Robert Thomas that well, but both those guys have contracts. Mm-hmm. And it makes it a little bit easier to say, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me, because there's an expectation that when you get paid, it is about you to lead and to win. I just think money changes everything in sports today. And I I know a lot of people are texting in and saying kids are coddled these days. While I think they're coddled in certain things, I think it's harder to be a kid now than it ever has been because of phones and social media. It is not easy to be a youngster growing up in these days and times. It's just not. It does. It makes you hyper self-focused in a lot of negative ways. There's good and bad that comes with that, but social media has really just changed things so much for these younger players. Now, a player who doesn't have the big contract yet, and when we're talking about the Blues and with Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, is Jake Neighbors. I think that there's a reason why he he stands out at such a young mm-hmm. age is because he is willing to really put in that hard work and effort. It feels like every single game. And it seems like he's a guy that people will follow. To be a leader, you have to have people follow you. And I think Neighbors is that sort of guy that galvanizes a team. And I think people will fall behind him and allow him to be a leader ultimately. I think leadership starts with a resume too. You know, if you've been mm-hmm. around for a while and you're Brandon Crawford, you're Matt Carpenter, you're Goldie, you're Arnato, uh, you're Contreras, you're Miles Michaelis, you're Lance Lynn, you're Kyle Gibson. Just look at the back of the, the, the trading card and there's a resume there. And it, to me, it's incumbent on the player, the young player, to go to the older player and say, I need to be better. And I guarantee almost 99% of these players, the veterans would say, thank you for coming up to me. Let me tell you what I see. Mm-hmm. It, it's incumbent, though, on the young player to go to. It's not. It's not the responsibility of the older player to to go to the young player. The young player needs to go to the older player and ask, "How do you? Do, how did you do this? What do I need to do? How do I become a better player? What do you see that I'm doing right? What do you see that I'm doing wrong?" And I wish younger players would do that. And part of that is just feeling comfortable enough in their own skin to do it or the skin of the other guy that they go up to. They might be intimidated. I mean, <laughs> I'm thinking about Bob, uh, Bob Gibson. Yeah, but, but I'm thinking about Juan Yepes with Albert. There you go. Yeah. Perfect example. Yeah. Yeah. I always think, too, of, of the, one of the great scenes a couple of years ago is Genesis Cabrera slamming the ball off the, the mound mm-hmm. when he was going to get taken out of a game. And that usually is a situation because you don't want to show up the player. He did show up the manager, but the manager takes the high road and says, we're going to talk about this in the clubhouse away from cameras. You're going to come in my office and you're about to get an earful. Mm -hmm. And then you saw probably five minutes later, Cabrera sitting at the end of the bench because a player, a pitcher doesn't leave the game. He's going to sit there and watch and Albert going down and sitting next to him. And I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that Mm -hmm. conversation. Wasn't screaming, but it was about, let me tell you something, man. You don't ever do that. You don't ever do it again. And here is why. Yes. That's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up now that transaction season is essentially over, how does the NL Central stack up? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. After the Cubs re-signed Cody Bellinger, the rosters for the National League Central teams are pretty well set. And I think right now, if you look, it's not unfair to think of the Cardinals as 
a team that can win the Central. Uh, that being said, I would think in Cincinnati, they're looking at the Reds as a team that can win the Central. I think in Chicago now, they're probably looking at the Cubs that could, uh, as a team that can win the Central. Don't know about the Pirates or the Brewers, but I, I would think right now, if it's a three-team race headed into September between the Cards, the Reds, and uh, the, the Cubs, I will not be at all surprised. No, I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever. And Dan, I know you feel this way too. I do think that the Cardinals, it's not out of the realm of possibilities from them to go from worst to first in the NL Central. But I do think that there's a dark horse candidate in the Reds because of what they potentially have there. And I know, look, their starting pitching was not great yes, last year, but you were able to add Frankie Montas. And there's other intriguing guys, including some young guys that they have in their starting rotation. <laughs> Nick Lodolo, Hunter Green, uh, Graham Ashcraft, Nick Martinez was another signing that they had. I kind of think that they've flown under the radar. And the other thing that they've done, they've stockpiled a ton of elite prospects. And so some of those guys may emerge as this season goes on. They also signed corner infielder J.M.R. Candelario. He got a three-year deal. They invested $42 million in that free agent starting pitching pool of Frankie Montas and Nick Martinez. I think they're kind of flying under the radar. Now, the Cardinals, their payroll, I think, is top 12 right now in baseball, $211 million, 225 for the Cubs. When you look at the Pirates, they only spent $29.2 million in free agency. They did get, I think the back end of their bullpen is actually pretty good when you look at Aroldis Chapman and the young man that they just signed to a five-year extension who's mm-hmm. nasty, uh, Bedard. So I, I, I like the what some of the moves have been done. Um, by these teams, I would say that Pittsburgh is in the bottom, then Milwaukee, and then, as you said, Randy, probably a, a three-team race at the top. But I, I do not want to overlook the Cincinnati Reds. No, and last year, J- uh, Graham Ashcraft kind of arrived on the scene after yep. the All-Star break. He had a 2.81 ERA after the break. He seemed to figure things out. Hunter Green needs to figure things out. He's got mm-hmm. the stuff to be great, and he should be an ace for them. But you never he got hurt last year, too. He's kind of on that, unfortunately for him, kind of, he didn't even have the, the half of a year like Flaherty had. Remember they babied him a lot yeah. too that first year. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And Montas had the shoulder injury, and he apparently was damaged goods when he arrived on the Yankees scene. But I'm with you too. I really like what they have, and I wonder if they will have a different vibe because Joey Votto is gone. I think sometimes an organization can spend so much time looking at a veteran, and it overshadows what's happening with the club. I think you make the case last night with, or last year with Wainwright a little bit, trying to get him mm-hmm. to 200. At times, it was uneasy seeing him gut through those starts and trying to get there. Now they're off the, the books with the Votto deal, which was 200-plus million. He's still looking for a job. Um, but I, I like the Cardinals. You think about the different vibe that they have. They've overturned nearly 50% of their roster. They've overhauled their bullpen, which they had to do. They overhauled the rotation. I think it could be a good year for the Cardinals. Now, a lot of things need to happen. Guys need to stay healthy, which every team is saying. Mm-hmm. But I do like the overhaul of the roster that the Cardinals have done. So I just got a text from the 870 that says, Come on, Brooke, this division is the worst in baseball. Worst to first won't take that much in this division. Do you guys have any frustrations with this division? I, I always ask people, where are you going to put the Cardinals? Are you going to put them in the East or the West? We're in mid-America. The Central, we're in the Central part of the country. I mean, what do you want them to do? And the other thing is, it is a lesser division. So Yeah, it is. It, 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 is. it, it is what it is. You aren't, allowed, you aren't allowed to pick your division. It'd be yeah. nice to play the best competition, but you, that's just not the way it works. And, I think their frustrations probably stem from... If just based off of social media and fans reacting to it, that they feel like 
that is the Cardinals' plan, is just to win the division every single year and not get past that point, that they're just building to win the division. I have yet to see a World Series champion that didn't make the playoffs. (laughs) That's 100% right in that statement. I think what was really a real thing last year were these teams playing outside their division and having to play every team mm-hmm. in the league. Mm-hmm. That was a real thing for the Central Division. That was a real – I talked to Ali about that. He said, man, he said, you, you see it on paper, you see some of these other teams, and it's a tough road to hoe, so to speak, when you've got to play the Yankees every year. you got to play Boston every year. You're going to go play the Dodgers. You're going to go play you know, some of the top teams that you look mm-hmm. at in baseball. And those three, four-game series become very tough instead of trying to beat up on 18 yeah. games in the Pittsburgh Pirates. Right, and it is what it is. And oh, by the way, let me mention that the Dodgers have had the highest payroll in baseball for pretty much a decade now, and they only won the COVID World Series. The the Phillies, with all of their expenditures, they haven't won a World Series with, with all of their expenditures. The Yankees haven't been to a World Series since 2009, despite being in the top three in payroll every single year. Just because you have a huge payroll with a lot of good players doesn't mean you're going to go to the World Series. Nobody expected Arizona to go to the World Series no. last year, yet they did. So... You can say, well, they just want to make the playoffs. Thing is, if you make the playoffs, and and I've got the stat for you, I can tell you again right now, if you haven't heard it, the last four National League World Series, uh, 21, 22, 23, last three uh, National League World Series uh, participants were the lowest-seeded playoff teams when they came in. Atlanta, Philadelphia, Arizona were the lowest seeds in the National League playoffs. By the way, I, if I'm going to pick a favorite here, and, and I'm concerned about the Cardinals' age, I, I, I worry about them, especially with the summer heat in St. Louis, being able to sustain. Craig Council is a guy that, as a manager, is able to maximize a group of players, and they have a pretty decent group of players. I'd be shocked if the Cubs didn't have the best defense in the National League. Mm. I uh, I love Craig Council too. I, I think now that you sign Bellinger, giving them mm-hmm. a little left-handed presence in their lineup, which was missing, that's going to give him more options as they move forward. To your point, Randy, I looked this up um, a few weeks ago. So the best team over 162 games, so the best record, has won just 14 times in 54 seasons since divisional play began. Wow. That's an incredible stat to me. Um, So to your point, it's nice to get in. It's nice to pay all these players and say that you are on paper the team that wins. But that is baseball in a nutshell. It's not guaranteed. It's not the best team. It's the team that's playing the best. And I wonder if Major League Baseball needs to change um, how they do this, where if you win your division, like the Atlanta Braves had all that time between winning the division and then waiting for the next opponent. I think they need to look at something like that so you stay in a flow in, in how you got there at the end of the year, and then all of a sudden you're playing inter-squad games for a couple of days yeah. and the intensity drops. I think it's something they need to do. Without fail, that happens. It's, yep. it's happened since we started the playoffs scenario where you could take time off or like when the, we talked about the 06 Tigers. They were a better team than the Cardinals, but they had all that time off after sweeping the, the ALCS, and that hurt them, no doubt about it. I wonder what managers would say, guys, if they'd rather just go right into the postseason. Now, if you win your division, you should be able to line up your, your postseason rotation because mm-hmm. you could skip guys and do all that kind of stuff. 
or do they rather say, nope, it's good. We, we need the time off, rest some bodies, obviously line up our rotation. I, which, I, I wonder which one they'd pick. I want to, and I know managers would pick rest. I want to have a team that's played desperate for a long time. Yes. Wild cards. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. why they're dangerous. Exactly. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, we've got the fight. You can text in your name and the word fight to 314-399-9646, 314-399-YOHO. And baby Matthew will pick you to fight me next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Opening Drive, please welcome Randy Carricker. Opening drive, Brooke, Randy, and Dan here in Rockio, and it is time for the fight. And our fighter today is Ryan. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful today. How about yourself? We're doing great. Is this your first time facing Randy in the fight? This is the first time. A little nervous, but uh, spent last night watching my son's Priory Ravens win in the basketball playoffs, so I'm feeling good today. There you go. Now, Ryan, that was the first time in the sectional in 55 years for Bobby Mack. Is that right? Yeah. It was. This was, uh, and this is my understanding. It's the furthest we've ever made it. So, that's, yeah, that's what I thought too. Congratulations to Priory. Yeah. We'll see if we can keep the good times rolling for you. All right, you ready for question number one, Ryan? Yep. Which Cardinal leads the franchise in walk-off home runs with twelve? Is it Joe Medwick, Albert Pujols, or Sam Musial? I'm going to go with Albert. Okay, question two. The John Elway of the NHL, Eric Lindros, refused to play for the team that held the first overall pick, eventually forcing a trade to the Flyers. Which team did he refuse to sign with? Was it the San Jose Sharks, the Minnesota North Stars, or the Quebec Nordiques? I knew he went to Philly. I'm pretty certain it was the Nordiques. Final answer? Final answer, yeah. Question three, please. All right. Speaking of draft day trades for oversized stars, which team originally drafted Luka Doncic before trading his rights to the Mavericks? Is it the Hawks, the Celtics, or the 76ers? This one's just going to have to be a guess. Uh, I'm going to go with the Hawks. Well, you watching a basketball game, I think you're going to like that answer from last night and today. Uh, Which blue blood has the most losses in the Final Four, losing a combined 15 semifinal and championship games? Was it Michigan State, UNC, or Kentucky? Sorry, can you you send the question again? Sure. Which team has the most losses in the Final Four, losing a combined 15 semifinal and championship games? Was it Michigan State, UNC, or Kentucky? I'm going to say Michigan State. Okay. All right, we're going to go bring in uh, Randy here for his portion of the fight. When does Priory play again, by the way, and who do they play? Uh, They play Saturday against Montgomery County. Um, Unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be at home. We're going to have to travel there, but uh, we're kind of road warriors this, this year, so... Um, we only had one win at home. <laughs> well, that happens. So congratulations to Bobby McCormick. He's been a, a, around a long time. He had Larry Hughes at CBC, won a state title back in 1996, I believe. So Bobby Mack doing things at Priory. We have a, a, 
our challenger, Ryan, his son, plays for Priory, and they advance oh. to the uh, sectional. Congratulations, uh, Ryan, to your son. That's great. And thank you very much for playing today. Good to have you with us, and thanks for tuning in. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. All right, question number one. Randy, which Cardinal leads the franchise in walk-off home runs with 12? I'm going to go, because of those two that he had against the Cubs on back-to-back days, I'm going to go with Albert Pujols. That was a memorable weekend. It's pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. All right, the John Elway of the NHL, Eric Lindros, refused to play for a team that held the first overall pick, Mm. eventually forcing a trade to the Flyers. Which team did he refuse to sign with? I believe he may have uh, been traded by the Quebec Nordiques to the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, And by the way, the the Colorado Avalanche, uh, who the Quebec Nordiques became, got Peter Forsberg out of that deal. And then they had Joe Sackick, and then their first year, I think, speaking of 1996, was the Avalanche in 96, and they won the Cup. Won the Cup, yeah. Question number three. Speaking of draft day trades for oversized stars, which team originally drafted Luka Doncic before trading his rights to the Mavericks? I think Luka might have been drafted by the Atlanta Hawks formerly the St. Louis Hawks, and I think he might have been traded for Trey Young, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going to go with that. All right, question four, Randall. You ready? Ready. Which blue blood has the most losses in the final four, losing a combined 15 semifinal and championship games? Wow, that's a lot. Can I do the lifeline? Sure. Michigan State, UNC, Kentucky. I was going to go with Kentucky because of recency bias. Because Calipari has struggled so much. Uh, Dean Smith, though, took forever to get a championship at Carolina. So I am going to go against my initial thought, and I'm going to go with the Tar Heels. Okay. Matthew, it's your time to talk. This was a close one. I honestly thought we were going to burn another tiebreaker. I had a good one, so hopefully we get it tomorrow. But we have an outright winner today in the fight. Does Ryan come in here on a hump day and bump off Randy? Or does Carriker keep on rolling through with another victory? Ring that bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carriker. The fight is driven by Car Shield. Plans to fit any budget. Visit carshield.com today. Just win, baby. It was a little loud in Danny's ears a little bit, but I'm sorry, Ryan. Randy Carricker just barely beat wow. you three to two in that fight. Too much. It was too much, Randy. <laughs> it was not at first. It was not. We hit the back end of it. We got the yeah. idea. Okay. All so, right. Sorry about that, Ryan. No problem. Thanks. Absolutely. Let's go through the questions and answers. Which Cardinal leads the franchise in walk-off home runs with 12? Albert Pujols has 12 for his career, but not all of them came in a Cardinals uniform. Stan Musial, though, 12 for 12 in his career. Hold on just a second. Were you thinking Gary Bennett? You said he had back-to-back walk-off home runs against the Cubs. Were you thinking Gary yeah. Bennett? No, he. Well, Albert had back-to-back in 2010, had back-to-back walk-off a Saturday and a Sunday, walk-off home runs against the Cubs. I don't remember that. Yeah. How Was it when the state? Oh, no, that's not it was right. June of 2010, I think. Okay. 
the John Elway of the NHL, Eric Lindros, refused to play for the team that first that held the first overall pick, and that was, in fact, the Quebec Nordiques. Speaking of draft tra- day trades, it was, in fact, the Atlanta Hawks who held the rights after selecting Luka Doncic before moving him to the Mavericks for Trey Young. That's working out for them. And which Blue Blood <laughs> has the most losses in the Final Four, losing a combined 15 semifinal and championship games. UNC has 21 Final Four appearances and just six championships, 15 losses for them. On the other side, by the way, UCLA has been to 18 Final Fours and has won 11 of them, so only seven losses in a semifinal or a championship game for UCLA. Kentucky, by the way, 17 Final Four appearances, eight championships, so only nine times they've had to actually lose wow. in a Final Four for the Kentucky Wildcats. A 3-2 win for Randy Carricker in the fight today. Thank you so much, Ryan, for joining the fight and joining the show. All right, thanks very much. Good luck Thank this you, weekend. Ryan. Absolutely. Uh, Okay, so it was actually 2011, June 4th and 5th of 2011. Cardinals won on a walk-off home run by Pujols on Saturday, June 4th, and then Sunday, June 5th in 2011. There you go. Yep. So, And you you know what? I think one of those games, the Saturday game, might have been a big Fox game. That's probably why I don't remember. Yeah, (laughs) I was probably fishing. Yeah, (laughs) probably. (laughs) Coming up here on 101 ESPN, five premier NFL running backs were not franchised by their teams. So what are the best best fits for these guys? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. NFL free agency gets underway in a couple of weeks, and there's going to be more running backs available this year than there ever have been on the free agent market. Earlier this week, when the franchise tag date came and went, Austin Eckler of the Chargers was not tagged. Saquon Barkley of the Giants was not tagged. Derrick Henry of the Titans was not tagged. Josh Jacobs of the Raiders was not tagged. Tony Pollard of the Cowboys was not tagged. All right, so we're going to play the old game of connecting players to teams. And let's start with Austin Eckler, formerly of the Chargers. Where is he going to wind up? I feel like Austin Eckler, it makes the most sense for him to go to the Raiders. To me, it just makes a lot of sense. Obviously, the Raiders moving on from Josh Jacobs, Mm -hmm. unless for some reason they do keep him there. Now, this is a question that we will go through during this segment, but is there a player that you think will still return to their team that they were originally with? Jacobs is the one for me. Possibly, but at the same time with Eckler, the price is a little bit lower than Jacobs, possibly. Mm-hmm. So I could see that being a fit there. I, I definitely could see him there. And obviously the Raiders do will do anything they can to tweak an AFC West rival. But uh, I, I'm going to go with Eckler to wind up with the Tampa Bay Bucks. They were the worst rushing team in the league last year, as you mentioned, Brooke. He'll probably be a little bit less expensive and seems to fit the profile of what they're looking for. Now, that might change, too, because they lost Dave Canales, their offensive coordinator. But I think Eckler is a good fit in Tampa Bay. Next up, Saquon Barkley. This is the guy that I – this is the only interest I have. Okay. Yeah. Isn't that terrible? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I no, should it's want not terrible. Okay. It's the greatest free agent running back class in the history mm-hmm. of the NFL, and I just want to know where Saquon Barkley goes. <laughs> That's all I care about. I, I'm enamored watching him play, loved watching him play with the Giants. I think he's a special talent, um, and I think he winds up in Dallas. I bet he winds Ooh. up playing for Jerry. That would be interesting. Yeah. 
Hmm. I I don't know. Okay, because there's an interesting little tidbit that has come out recently. The Saquon Barkley has reportedly had some communication with C.J. Stroud. Supposedly, Stroud would be interested in having him come mm. to the Texans. We talked about social media before about how sometimes you do have to pay attention to that. Supposedly, Saquon followed some Texans players, including Stroud, on social media here recently. Is that a fit? Possibly. That's a great fit. He's so much better than Devin Singletary. That w- that w- and they've got cap room because they've got the young quarterback. That would be a fantastic fit for Saquon. Isn't it funny that we follow who they follow on social media yeah. and then that's going to tell you where they wind yeah. up? You yeah. kind of have to now. We were it's talking crazy. about earlier about with the younger generation. I sound old. Every I got to stop saying that because I sound really old when I say that. But the generation that is a little bit younger than what I am, I feel like you do have to pay attention to what they're doing on social media because it gives you mm-hmm. clues as to what they are thinking and possibly what they're even going to do. I'm lost. I, I wouldn't be able to do anything. Not I don't either. follow any players. No. I don't know who they don't follow and follow. I don't care. They do whatever they want. I think the team that goes for it and they're going to lose both Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins, the injured running back as a free agent, I think Saquon is the perfect Raven. And I, I think he winds up with Baltimore. Ooh, well, because the next person on the list here, I think, Derek is the perfect Henry. Raven. Yes. To me, it makes so much sense because they're looking for somebody to really balance out their offense, which, of course, you have Lamar Jackson there. But somebody who can really, really upgrade, I believe, that position in their backfield. And Derrick Henry fits that profile for me. Now... He is 30, I believe, yes, he is. Uh-huh. so that could be a cause of concern, but to me, makes so much sense to have Derrick Henry with the Ravens. He reminds me of Leonard Fournette yeah. at oh, this point yeah. in his career. Yeah. Good, Still be good able call. to barrel yeah. over some guys, get you some yards, tough yards. I love him if he would go to Baltimore. I think that he goes and becomes a thunder and thunder backfield with Najee Harris in Pittsburgh. <laughs> thunder and thunder. Yeah. Not thunder and lightning? No, thunder and thunder. <laughs> had a thunder and thunder backfield? Uh, what about um, the the old, uh, I guess the, the flash and dash with Carolina? Well, the ter- right? Terrible Stuart. Rams team, Stephen yeah. Jackson and Stephen Davis. And Stephen Davis, there, there you is, go. Thunder yeah. and thunder. Yeah, thunder and thunder. Mm. Okay, so I've got Josh Jacobs going back to the Raiders. What about you guys? Mm. I think that that makes sense. It could be a possibility. But what about either Green Bay or the Bengals? Now, the Bengals do have $60 million in cap space to work with here. So when we were talking about earlier about the Raiders maybe looking to not exactly pay that price of Jacobs, I think that Eckler, of course, will get a good payday, but not mm. as much as Jacobs. I think that that makes sense for him to possibly go to the Bengals. I think Jacobs was not utilized properly under mm-hmm. McDaniels. And then if you looked at Antonio Pierce in five games, and then he had a quad injury, but under Antonio Pierce, they used him a lot differently, mm-hmm. a lot more. And he averaged almost 100 yards a, a game. I think it was 98 yards a game. So I, I see him going back to the Raiders. Okay, good fit. Uh, I do think, though, that uh, the Cincinnati idea is a good one. Is Mixon a free agent? I, I didn't even look and see if Joe Mixon is a free agent because he seems to be their alpha back there. But if he's a free, if if he's there, I think it'd be hard for Mixon and Jacobs to coexist. And you, you can always cut a guy. They could move on from Joe Mixon. Yeah. And so that is my possibility yeah. in thinking with that is that they would be moving on from Joe Mixon. So, Randall, there's a couple too. DeAndre Swift mm-hmm. that you didn't mention. And I, I wonder if he goes back to Philly. I think that that's a great fit for him there. A.J. Dillon. Uh, J.K. Dobbins. Yeah, I, uh, Dobbins is going to have a tough time because he's been hurt. Dylan is interesting because the Packers gave the big money to Aaron Jones, and Dylan is another one of those guys. He he would be an interesting fit in Baltimore with the way that uh, the Todd Munkin wants to pound the ball. You know who, who, where else he would be an interesting fit if the price is right is Tennessee. 
There you go. Well, you're the uh, expert on Tennessee football. Do you like that or not? It, it, it will be fine. I, <laughs> I am still kind of having a hard time with Derrick Henry, but things obviously didn't work out there, and they're mm-hmm. not going to pay him that amount of money. So it okay. makes sense. Tony Pollard I've got going to the Vikings. Ooh, really? Alexander Madison was a disappointment for them last year. They had injuries with both guys. And Tony Pollard, again, just seems to be a fit for what Kevin O'Connell wants there. What do you think about the Chargers? I think uh, my guess is that Blake Corum somehow finds himself in L.A. with the Chargers. I think that uh, just based on the history of Jim Harbaugh with the 49ers, I think they're going to be young, young, young and draft draft guys. Saquon to the Chargers? Saquon would be, he's only 26. Exactly. Saquon would be a really good fit. And he, <laughs> does he fit what Jim Harbaugh wants? Perfect. <laughs> he's oh, exactly what they want. Yeah. 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 I, I was thinking, my thinking with the Chargers is that you have their offensive coordinator more. He was with the Dallas Cowboys, mm-hmm. so you have that familiarity there. Yeah. Good call. No, more went to Philly, right? He left the yes. Chargers. I think uh, Greg Roman oh. is the yeah, okay, is the OC yes. with the Chargers. Yeah. So and Greg Roman is pound pound pound, ground and pound. And he was the offensive coordinator for the Niners when they were in, uh, or, or when Harbaugh was there. The, kind of the Frank Gore look, right? Mm-hmm. I loved Frank Gore. He was he's a Hall of Famer, man. He had a yeah. career. He was amazing. Yeah. So that's uh, where we've got our running backs tied to. Again, I've got Eckler in Tampa, Saquon in Baltimore, Henry in Pittsburgh, Jacobs back to the Raiders, and I've got Pollard with the Vikings. I care about one, Saquon going to Dallas. Saquon with the Cowboys. And I can't stand the Dallas Cowboys. But that's where I got him going. Yeah, yeah, it it makes a lot of sense. I do think that I agree with you, Dan, that Saquon is probably about the most interesting one out of this whole bunch. Yeah, for me he is. Okay, let's just move Derrick Henry back to the Titans. Why not? He's a little expensive. That's that's oh. that's the thing. And thirty years old. Nothing against him. Enjoyed him uh-huh. with the Titans, of course. Big fan of Derrick Henry, but still, I can just see him with the Ravens. It makes so much sense. Yeah, he is. He'll fit anywhere because he doesn't need an offensive line. Just do it on his own. Yeah. Coming up on <laughs> which he did for a lot of years. Yeah, he sure did. Coming up on 101 ESPN, we've got our rush hour reset following a Blues loss and a loss for St. Louis City SC. That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Drive with a rush hour reset. It's 9.03 in St. Louis. Your time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. The Blues are at Edmonton tonight. They'll take on the Oilers. Pre-game at 6.30, action at 7.30 here on 101 ESPN. Last night, the Blues fell to the Winnipeg Jets by a score of 4-2. to 2-0 game in the first period. Blues cut the lead to 2-1, but they never really had uh, posed a real threat in this game. Even though they played about as well as they can, they really didn't pose a threat to win the game, and the Jets win it by a score of 4-2 to two and sweep the season series against your St. Louis Blues. And it's not on specific players to all, you know, I, I, just, I feel bad sometimes pointing out specific players, but then again, there is some guys in this situation where instead of stepping up, you're seeing them really fall behind. And I'm going to talk about Casper Kapanen and Kevin Hayes, and you pointed this out earlier, both of which, Dan, were minus three in like the opening 20 minutes. I think that Kevin Hayes finished minus three in the game. And just to point this out, Hayes entered the game with just one goal 
in his past 27 games. Kapanen has one goal in his past 36 games. Now, they aren't the big money guys, but when we're talking about every single player needs to step up and make the most of the opportunity, you're starting to see some of those guys fall behind. Well, if you're a Blues fan this morning, you're waking up going, okay, where are the Blues in the standings and what do they do with the trade deadline looming? So span of 12 days, the Blues went from the potential of being up six points on the Predators. There was a Saturday game at Enterprise Center, and it wasn't a good game. They lost that game against Nashville. They're now six points back of Nashville. Blues, since that game, are 1-4. Nashville's put together a six-game winning streak. Now, the Blues do have two games in hand. What's interesting, though, and I, I pointed out, looking at the numbers this morning, and I think numbers tell a story, six points out of a playoff spot, but yet four points away from the eighth-worst record in hockey. Um, so it's not going to get any easier. Starting tonight, they've got the Oilers in a back-to-back in Edmonton. Then you have the Wild, the Flyers, the Islanders, and the Devils. Only one game at home before the trade deadline. Um, so I wonder, as a Blues fan, you wake up, you're probably saying, eh, that's not going so well. If you're Doug Armstrong, maybe this gives you clarity in the front office and what you want to do at the trade deadline, too. If I'm Doug Armstrong, I'm listening to all offers right now and taking it very very seriously because you have to but we were discussing this earlier guys and i think it's a very fair point who can you move right now and that would bring in some value i think buchnevich is really the only realistic answer that you have maybe marco scandella but if you're trying to at least get some value out of this at the trade deadline who can you move you might be able to get a third out of scandella right maybe a fourth uh and and fourth round draft choices get traded a lot for some reason in the nhl but uh, you, you aren't going to bring in any players of value for this year, I don't think. So what you're looking for, if, if the Blues are in the trade market, I, I believe they'll be selling. Because think about it from this perspective. They're an underdog tonight. I think they'll be an underdog against, maybe they'll, they'll be favored against Minnesota on Saturday. But then you go to Philly. They'll be an underdog. They go to the Islanders. They'll be an underdog. They go to Jersey. They'll be an underdog. They go to the Rangers. They'll be an underdog. They go to Boston. They'll be an underdog. So... The likelihood is is that when the Blues get to and pass the trading deadline, they'll probably not have a great shot at a playoff. I thought it was just some names to throw out there. Kasperi Kapanen, Marco Scandella, I think makes a lot of sense, as you said, Randy. Oscar Sundquist, maybe. Is there value for somebody there that is looking for a little depth? Mm -hmm. Um, And to your point, Brooke, I don't think anything's off the table with this team. Buchnevich would be the one that comes to mind that teams would want. He's got six goals in his last six games. Mm -hmm. But again, um, the interesting name is Cairo. Is is Mm -hmm. there somebody out there that would want to take on that that contract and see if a change of scenery? And he hasn't... Look at the stats. His numbers are okay. It's just... I think, and I mentioned this yesterday, I think he was overshadowed by Tarasenko, O'Reilly, some of the other bigger mm-hmm. names that you had. These these were issues that you had before at times, too, yes. playing a 200-foot well, game. So mm-hmm. now it's just being magnified a little bit more. But if you're another team, and we talk about the contract, and everybody's got scouts. They're watching the guy play. But if you just zero in on the 37 goals, 73 points last year, 27 goals, 75 points the year before, I'm sure there's coaches and general managers out there that think, okay, I can get the most out of him. Clearly, he's got talent. 37 goal scorers don't grow on trees, and maybe somebody will gamble on that talent. I don't know. And that's the the question the Blues have, too. You know, you're still very early on in this contract. He's still a young player, Mm -hmm. and you believed in him because you gave him that contract, and you're saying maybe this is kind of a one-off for him, and 
there's a coach out there or the current coach that can try to get the most out of him moving forward. Right. And he does have a lot of skill, and that's the hard part is that you know that if you do trade him, then he is going to go light the lamp mm-hmm. elsewhere. He is going to be probably a 30-goal scorer a- again, and that's going to be a very painful thing. But you also have to think about what's best for this franchise right now. And with that no-trade clause kicking in here soon, do you try to move him before it kicks in? I would. I think you got to look at it for sure. Yeah. I mean, you're asking about who's untouchable. In my mind, Robert Thomas is untouchable. That guy is playing at a very high yes. level and not getting enough credit for it, too. Agreed. The Cardinals will take on the Mets today after tying with Boston yesterday. 3-3. Sonny Gray, two innings. He struck out two. He walked two. Didn't allow any runs. John King is quickly getting back into being called John King after he was tagged for two earned runs on a sixth-inning homer. <laughs> you know the guy I'm, I'm intrigued by is Jerpy. The, he yeah. was a yep. top pick from a few years ago, and uh, the thing that go ahead, Matthew, his last name is being butchered all no, across right. town. Jerpy is right. Jerpy is right. Mm-hmm. I'm just laughing because we're going back to exactly where we were at the trade deadline last year, where everyone's like, okay, how do we say all these names we got at the trade deadline yeah. last year? Because last year we spent in a whole show, like, how do we say JC? How do we say Roversay? And how do we say Jerpy? But you okay. hit it right on the nail. I, I think he's intriguing. Yeah. I, I think they're. There are times that it is so beneficial to have just weird, different looks coming out of your bullpen. Mm -hmm. He's one of the players or pitchers that I'm watching the rest of the spring to see how he fares. The other day, he had two strikeouts, got a pop out. He had five swings and misses and a unique look potentially coming out of their pen. And I think that's a good thing, a really good thing. If you've ever seen Chris Sale pitch... He's Chris Sale, and then even then some, how he kind of slings it from the left side. Yeah, he he's an interesting guy to have. You know, the old Brewer's first baseman named his son after Jerpy, and his, his name is Cooper Cooper. <laughs> Randy. <laughs> Just... No. <laughs> did you ever? Did you, did you ever? Uh, okay. Uh, okay. I got to give you an old Jack Buck line from when he was uh, doing play by play. Do you remember Mark Lemongello? Yeah. And this is when, oh, uh, no. yeah, a, a player, and Matthew, you'll hate this, but it happened. Uh, sadly, Lyman <laughs> Bostock uh, passed away. Passed away. He, was, he was murdered in Gary, Indiana. Great player, great hitter. And when Mark Lemongello was playing and Lyman Bostock was still around, Jack said, uh, <laughs> He said, Lemon Jello has a brother named just like Bostock of the Angels, Lyman Lemon Jello. <laughs> you have looked too far into some of these names. Oh, I love doing it. Though. I know you it's do. Fun. I know you St. do. St. Louis City SC falling last night to the Houston Dynamo 1 0, so they're knocked out of the CONCACAF Champions Cup. 2 2 aggregate, so you don't play a third uh, match. Houston advances on away goal tiebreaker. Congratulations to the Dynamo. They were sloppy last yeah, night. That's as sloppy as you're going to see them. Possession was nowhere. Five of their last 18 matches, they've won. That's it. So not a great trend, but uh, take some time off, regroup, and see what they got when they start up uh, MLS play again. Yeah. I am a little bit worried when we are talking about health being a concern for them so early on. Is that? I mean, I know it is early in the season. You'd rather have it now maybe than later in the season. But still, three of the team's four center backs you had hurt or either entirely unavailable yeah. in the game. And then you had Nielsen, right rock, that also had to exit the game. Yeah, he, he got banged up. Apparently it was just another muscle strain. It's not going to be a long-term thing. The Parker thing was weird because it appears that if they would have been trying to leg out a victory whether it would have been a zero zero tie or what have you that they would have put parker in for like the last 10 minutes or so based on carnell's comments but i have no idea if yarrow was even available but he traveled and so the bigger issue like danny keeps saying though i mean just 
It's a completely ineffective offense. I mean, that's what got him bumped from um, the playoffs. It's a slightly different issue that's causing it. But the bottom line is that's the undercurrent of a lot of the problems you've seen with City. What, how's the gold come off the rose a little bit? It's been the fact that the offense isn't scoring goals, and that was it last night. Mizzou yep. is at Florida tonight. The Tigers 8-19, and 0-14 mm. in the SEC. Florida is a 13.5-point favorite in that game. And here in St. Louis over at... Chaffetz Arena, the Billikens will host Richmond, the Spiders. And uh, the Spiders are a five and a half point. Spiders. The Spiders. Mm, scary. scary. Five and a half point favorite over the Billikens. Wait, who, go who? back to the Mizzou game. Yeah. Their opponent is how much of a favorite? Uh, uh, Florida, number 24 Florida is a 13 and a half point favorite. Ouch. Are you probably guys taking cover. that? I, I would take Florida to cover in that game. What yep. was it, 14 and a half? 13 and a half. 13 and a half. There have been 10 men's teams in SEC history to finish with a winless conference record. And uh, very well could be 11 coming up with the Missouri Tigers. Ouch. History. What are you laughing at, Matthew? The things that Randy inspires in our, our already cesspool of listeners. What do they do? Well, I don't know if I can read don't the text from the listeners. Our listeners are uh, Very fine people. <laughs> I'm, I'm, oh, sorry. The people who text in. I, I, is it okay if I call them a cesspool? No, no. I appreciate them texting no, in. No, no, I want them to keep doing it, but I'm still just commenting on okay. what I'm seeing. Uh, 618, I'm sorry in advance. Randy, you want to read it? No. Uh, I, I don't need no, 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 no. I should no. read that? Okay. No. No, 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 no. Oh, that was given. Up. That was a nickname for Oral Hershiser that was given oh, by yeah. Chris Berman. Yeah, we don't need it. No, we don't do that here. <laughs> we don't. Well, we don't. <laughs> no, not on that one. No, nope. That's a Josh Innes thing. Yeah, we oh, don't do that. Okay. Well, uh, coming up, I guess we should talk about that Justin Fields guy, huh? Yes, that's a good idea, Brooke. That Let's is a that. great idea. Yeah, don't you, you guys think just so, Dan? Ruined everything. Absolutely. For me. <laughs> I. We're Sorry definitely not going to read the six one eight. Sorry in advance if Oral Hershiser's uh, nickname was not brought up, and it's not going to be brought up. We can't we can't bring it up. He's just asking a hypothetical. It, it's been done. So okay. Steve Sachs has a kid, a heroic player. Oh, oh God, no. here we go. For the Dodgers oh, no. is Oral Dan, Her- you, Hershiser. You this back up. Uh, and that family, the Sachs family, <laughs> names their kid after Oral Hershiser. I think that would be just such a nice thing for them to do because they don't win the 1988 World Series if they don't have Oral Hershiser. <laughs> so I'm looking at my uh, my uh, rundown here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the celebrity line. Tell us the Guerrero story. Lasorda Guerrero about uh, about Steve Sachs. So the celebrity line has the blues analyst uh, and one on one host oh, yeah. Jamie Rivers at nine thirty. We got to get to him. So we'll talk about. But I'll tell you, it's, hold on, nine fifteen, Randy Bears uh-huh. GM Ryan Poles on the possibility of trading quarterback Justin Fields and drafting a QB with the first pick in the draft. That's coming up next as we don't talk nicknames on one hundred one ESPN. <laughs> Back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We talk a lot here about how America's sports fans seem to like the transaction more than the action. And the big topic right now in Chicago is not about the Cubs being in spring training or the White Sox or the Bulls' struggles or the Blackhawks and Connor Bedard. No, the big topic in Chicago is who's going to be quarterback next year. Some people want the Bears to keep Justin Fields. Some people want the Bears to trade Justin Fields and draft a quarterback. Others want them to keep Fields and 
uh, draft a quarterback as well. Ryan Poles was at the Combine and said to the media about a possibility of a Justin Fields trade, quote, it just depends on what opportunities pop up. He went on to say, I will say this, if we go down that road, I want to do right by Justin as well. No one wants to live in gray. I know that's uncomfortable. I wouldn't want to be in that situation either. So we'll gather the information and we'll move as quickly as possible. We're not going to be in a rush and we'll see what presents itself and what's best for the organization. Well, if you're talking about moving Justin Fields, if you're talking to other teams, that tells me that you're willing to and you probably will. Otherwise... Why would you even bother having the conversations? If you're that enamored of a quarterback, why would you? It's a quarterback. Why would you think of moving a quarterback and uh, if you're not going to move him? They are going to move him. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very clear that that's what the next step is here. Because don't you guys think that if Poles doesn't take Caleb Williams, that it would be almost malpractice mm-hmm. on his part? I, I think getting under the money too with yeah. Fields is big, and you, just, you know, start the clock then on your a rookie deal with your QB, and if it's Caleb Williams or May, um, makes sense. I mean, it looks to be the top three guys are pretty deep, and you're going to make a pretty good decision on what you do. Now, that's not always the case, but I uh, I want to see Marvin Harrison with Fields. If I was going to stay, mm-hmm. stay with the pick and and go number one. Uh, I'm looking at Marvin Harrison. Now, the other thing that you could do, though, is trade the pick and stockpile, you know, up-end picks, higher draft picks in the first round and get yourself some weapons and see what you can get. You know, I, it's interesting. I, I think the whole thing's interesting. And I, I, the GM says, I want to do right by Justin. He, he's going to be fine. This is a business. Mm-hmm. I, I want to do right by people, too, but this is a business, man. That's exactly what Ryan Poole said. He said, I've been in contact with Justin's team and let them know kind of what we're looking at, how things might play out, and that we'll continue to communicate. It's part of this business. It's a unique situation. Here's the thing. I sit here as a layman, and if I don't think a quarterback is capable of leading me to a Super Bowl after his third season in the league— I don't see it changing in the fourth or the fifth seasons, and especially when the money is going to go up. So if I'm the Bears, I'm going to move Justin Fields, and I'm going to draft a guy that I think is capable of being a Super Bowl quarterback. You you don't find players. You don't find quarterbacks. Well, rarely. Well, no, never. You never find quarterbacks that start as rookies, play three years of mediocre football, and then wind up being in Super Bowls. You have extenuating circumstances like you had with Phil Sims, where he was hurt for much of his first three years. Most quarterbacks that wind up in the Super Bowl are, you know it after their first three years of playing. I don't think that the Bears have been exactly perfect in this situation with Justin Fields either. So what are some of the lessons, though, that they have, have learned from Justin Fields that they can take into drafting Caleb Williams and developing him into the quarterback that they want and need? Well, number one, you need to make sure that your new offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, is capable of getting the most out of a quarterback. Waldron did a really good job with Geno Smith in Seattle. To me, that's one thing you have to do. The other thing, when you talk about the best way to do it, look at the way Patrick Mahomes was developed. Maybe you do keep Justin Fields playing for a year and either enhance or decrease his value, but you let Caleb Williams sit and watch and learn for a year. Just going to bring up that point, Randy, is you talked about you know these guys that start early and then don't seem to have success, they don't get to Super Bowls. Why would Caleb Williams, as, as good as we all think he's going to be, why would he be any different? You know, maybe sit him a little bit, let him learn, and then don't put so much pressure where everything is just 
extremely fast on him, let him ease into the position. And, you know, the the prototype of doing that is Green Bay with what yep. they've done. I mean, right. if you can do that and you can afford yourself the time as a GM to understand you're going to take your lumps mm-hmm. and not get fired head coach too, why wouldn't you do it that way? And playing as a rookie is so hard. C.J. Oh, Stroud is such an anomaly. You guys know the all-time record for interceptions in a season by a quarterback? No. 20, uh, 28 by a rookie named Peyton Manning. Oh, oh yeah, I did know <laughs> that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I forgot all about that. Yeah. Huh. It's hard to play as a rookie. And it is. You can turn out to be great, but it, it's it's a rare occurrence that you get the Roethlisberger or the, the Dan Marino that leads you to greatness and puts or the C.J. Stroud who puts up great numbers as a rookie. It's if you're the GM bad. too, you're, you're, it's a game of poker. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. going to hold your hand until the last final minute mm-hmm. where you think that you're getting the best deal for your team and if that means trading him, you do and if it means you keep him, you do. But it's mm-hmm. a game of poker right now. One other thing that I, I think I would do if indeed there is quality return for Justin Fields. And I'm talking about a number one pick. I don't think there is. If it's anything less than a number one, I'd just keep Fields and let him be my placeholder for Williams. But if somebody is willing to offer number one, then I can go out and sign a free agent quarterback to be my placeholder. But I'm not starting Caleb Williams on opening day. Probably not, because you have to develop him. But I do think it's just really interesting. You have to go out and get Caleb Williams. But I think that they also hopefully have learned some of the mistakes that they might have made with Justin Fields and making sure that they put their new quarterback in the best position to win and grow and develop and figuring out what that is. Now, did you guys see the rumors coming out yesterday that the Falcons are supposedly Mm -hmm. very, very interested in bringing in Justin Fields? Am I the only one that likes him? I think he can play. I think he can play, too. I I personally think it was just not the right situation well, with the Bears. He His first head coach was fired, and the entire staff, after his rookie year. Then after the second year, uh, he's hurt all year. And then and, and they're messing around with Andy Dalton. Exactly. And then the, the third year, he's got uh, another bad offensive coordinator, Luke Getze, who didn't do a good job. And now they've got Waldron. But the, the, the problem that they have is... You get into this downward spiral. It's a cycle, and it's hard to get out of. And maybe the best thing for both sides is for Fields to go somewhere else. It's really hard to rebound after, kind of like Bradford here, after you've been through so many different coaches and so many coordinators in the Mm -hmm. early part of your career, it's really hard to bounce back. The pressure on the GM, too, is that if he goes to another situation, you can say these were the mitigating factors that led to him not having success. And if Caleb Williams goes to somebody else and explodes – you're fired. Yeah. yeah I mean, yep. it's a tough situation to be in, but that's why they're in that position. Yeah. And he better be great because if you take him and Williams isn't and you trade fields, and he winds up being great for somebody else. You're fired. You almost, you have to have your guy be great, whether it's yeah. fields or uh, Caleb Williams. If you're the, if you're Ryan Poles, you need your guy to be great. In that situation too, is there any way that you could even pass on taking the quarterback? If the quarterback is predicted to be first overall to I Dan's mean, point yeah I, yeah I i that's the thing is that it's a situation where you have to do it anyway and, and there's a, the fashanu the tackle from penn state i don't think he's a number one pick but you trade that pick if you if you aren't going to use it on a quarterback you trade down stay in the top five or six and take an offensive tackle or you take one of the two receivers either harrison or adunze from washington or, yeah and, and, but you need if if you have DJ Moore and one of those two on the outside for for Justin Fields, pretty dynamic. It, it's a different story, yep. and that's what I'm saying. He he played well down the stretch, mm-hmm. whether you like him or not. Yeah. He played a lot better down the stretch, and maybe that's enough 
to convince you if you add some weapons for him that you'd say, okay, this guy's got a shot. We don't want to send that first overall pick somewhere else, and we're able to get Marvin Harrison Jr. The other thing you have to do is make sure that your quarterback and your setup and your system is prepared to play in Chicago in December. It's a good point. It's one of the reasons the Bears have never had a great quarterback, because it's hard to be a great quarterback in Chicago in December. Mm-hmm. That's Brooke. That's Dan. I'm Randy. Coming up, we're going to head up to Edmonton, and we're going to talk to our buddy Jamie Rivers, co-host of The Fast Lane here on 101 ESPN, and the analyst for Blues Hockey. Try to analyze that <laughs> next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, a proud partner of your St. Louis Blues. Find your perfect new floor at our four convenient locations and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Celebrity line. Uh, Jamie Rivers is standing by. Brooke, Danny Mac, and Randy and Rivs. Good morning. How's everything in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada this morning? Oh, it is beautiful out here, Randy. About 85 degrees, <laughs> sunny, you know, just everything you'd want it to be. Did you, did you uh, communicate with home? Did you realize that it was 84 here yesterday and then 28 when we got up this morning? Oh, I didn't have to communicate with anybody. The world communicated it with me. Everybody back home let me know. Hey, how's that going up there? You guys are freezing your tails off. Hey, that's all right. I'm sweating over here. <laughs> yeah, but then this morning we had your weather. This morning when we came in here, it was 28. Yes. Yeah, the world is wacky. Is it Mother Nature? It's like she got totally pissed off and wanted to regulate the market a little bit in St. Louis. You are so right, man. She, I don't know what we did to her. Come on, Mom. I don't know. You know what? I'll take the blame. It's probably my fault. <laughs> well, Jamie, one way that we have seen, and Drew Bannister made this very clear, that he likes to hold player ca- players accountable by reducing their ice time. We saw it with Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, and we also saw it last night with reduced ice time for Kasperi Kapanen and Kevin Hayes. At a time when you have players who should be stepping up in big situations, instead you're starting to see some guys fall behind. Do those two fit into that category, and what have you seen from them? Well, I think that, look, not everybody has a great game every night, and it happens over the course of the season. Usually everybody gets a turn at, you know, being in the so-called doghouse. Um, It's just the way it works. But last night it happened to be a couple of guys that, you know, Kevin Hayes, it just wasn't working for him. And for Casper Kappen, it was a tough game. And, uh, yeah, it's just the way it works. I, I think that... Drew Bannister will have a good talk with them. He seems to be that guy that communicates really well with the players, especially players that he benches or holds accountable, however you want to word it. And usually those guys accept that and come back and have a better game following, you know, sad punishment. And so I would imagine those two play better tonight here at Edmonton. What is your strongest memory? And I can't believe this happened, but I'm just going to guess that it did. Uh, What is your strongest memory of being in Mike Keenan's doghouse? Oh, God. I don't know if I've ever gotten out of it, Randy, to be honest. Um, yeah, I think he just hated me from the very beginning just because I was a young player. Like, literally, every every day you'd come in, and do something new. and The shoes you're wearing, your haircut, uh, the way you pass the puck, the length of your stick. I mean, found several reasons to, to not like players, but 
Uh, I'll, I'll use Jimmy Roberts probably as a better measuring stick because Jimmy was a real fair guy. And, uh, I love Jimmy. And, and But one thing for Jimmy is he would say that um, he didn't want any of his defensemen making passes out of their end on their, on their back end. And, uh, and he'd get on guys all the time. So, you know, myself. But every now and then the backhand pass is available. Like, it's really the best choice until it gets knocked down and somebody scores, of course. <laughs> and uh, there's one time I floated a backhand. It was, boy, it was beautiful. Randy had good height on it, nice spin on the puck. And it was going tape to tape. And then it got knocked down. And uh, the guy scored right in the middle of the slot. In our own end. <laughs> and, uh, but Jimmy... Jimmy just told us, uh, just basically said to, hey, listen, that's, I call that a bus pass. That's, what are you talking about? He goes, you pass the puck like that again, you're riding the buses in the Myers. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Hey, uh, Ribs, I brought up this point earlier on a positive note. I, I don't think that we're taking into account the body of work of Robert Thomas in just the year that he's had. The Blues, we know, are bottom five five on five, but yet he's top 20 in points. He's, I think, top 15 still in assists. It's really under the radar the kind of year that he's he's putting together. Yeah, he's playing awesome, man. He really is. You know, we're going to focus, obviously a lot of Blue fans are going to focus on the game in Detroit because that's recent and he got benched and there's a lot of drama that surrounds it. But apart from that, Robert Thomas has been head and shoulders your best player on this team. I mean, for me, he he falls in the category of, like, Selkie Trophy candidate. Exactly. Because he, he he plays every night against the other team's top lines. He's out there killing penalties. He's got shorthanded goals. He's running your power play. I mean, the maturation of this player throughout the course of this season has been incredible. And when you even isolate the game in Detroit and then the benching and all that stuff that we've talked about for the last couple of days, look at the response you got last night. You didn't get a pouty player. You didn't get a guy that was upset. You got a guy that came out like his hair was on fire. And he was dominant. He was playing. I mean, that whole line responded very well. But Robert Thomas, in particular, had himself a game. So I I absolutely love where Robert Thomas' game is at. It makes me excited to think about where his game could be next year or the year after, even. And I I do think that at some point, he'll be in the discussion for a Selkie Trophy. Speaking of a good response from players, what did you think about that fight from the captain, Bradish, and a captain-on-captain fight, I should say, against Adam Lowry? Well, it, it's always Jenner, for, for that matter. <laughs> he always steps up in those situations. And, you know, it, it, I talked to him about it, and he just was like, I didn't like the way we started the game in particular. He said, I, feel like, I felt like we needed something. And he knew that Adam Lowry would respond because he's – He's wired very much the same way as Braden Shed. And so, you know, Shedder just went after him and didn't care that he gave up, what, three or four inches and about 20 pounds on the guy. And, <laughs> you know, just grip, grip and rip was probably the strategy at that point. And he did real well. And I thought it was great. You know, I mean, I, look, guys, it's no secret. I, I love the way Braden Shed plays. I, I think he's an awesome leader. And I think that he recognized it was a moment for him to step up, and he did. Jamie, the the Blues have five games, including tonight, before the trade deadline. I'm not going to ask you what they're going to do. No one knows what they're going to do. But from a player's perspective, what what are the next five games like when you're six games, or excuse me, six points out of a playoff spot? Things are kind of trending in the wrong direction. What's it like from a player's perspective uh, leading up to March 8th? 
Well, yeah, you're right, Dan. It's weird how things have changed here in the last six days or so for the Blues. I think as a player, you always believe that we can fix this. I mean, that's always what I would hope that that's the attitude of guys. And I think it is. It's just, you know, we can fix this and we can get in the playoffs. We want to do this. We've worked so hard. Uh, and as a team, usually inside the room, you're like, a lot of people don't believe we can get there. Let's prove everybody wrong. You know, it's, you try to adopt that us against the world mentality because guys are competitive, man. They want it. They want to make the playoffs. They want to win the hockey games. Nobody likes to lose. Nobody likes to get to this part, this part of the season and underperform. Nobody likes to get to this part of the season and be the one that gets traded. Because when you're the guy that gets traded, even though it's probably an acquisition where somebody wants you, it feels like the team that you were just on is getting rid of you because you couldn't get the job done. And so for me, it's always a pride thing. and It's tough to keep the noise out, especially right now, like we're up in Canada and the media is, you know, in St. Louis, you'll have 10 or 11 reporters. Here there's 40 people at the, at the rink, just asking questions regarding the trade deadline and, and all sorts of crazy stuff. So it's tough to keep it at bay, but you just got to go out and play, do your job, man. Work as hard as you possibly can. Uh, win a couple of hockey games. You know, it's not impossible. They're, they're on the outside looking in, but you have to always look at that and, and, and feel like you have a chance. And then if the day comes where trades are, are happening and, and your team changes directions or Doug Armstrong pivots and starts to sell off, hey, man, so be it. It is what it is at that point. And then from that point on, you want to make sure that this doesn't happen again next year. Hey, Ribs, before we let you go, you are a Blue and a Blues fan through and through. But that being said, it's got to be really cool to be up close and personal and get a chance to see what McDavid and Dreisaitl will do on a regular basis. They're just they're fun to watch. Yeah, it's pretty wild, man. You, know, you see these guys play, and they're just they're both so dominant in their own way. You know, Leon Dreisaitl is he, he's, he's just a horse out there. He's a big guy. Uh, he protects the puck well. He's obviously so skilled, um, you know, and he, he's a presence on the ice. Whereas McDavid, who is a presence as well, but it's different, man. He operates at warp speed. Watching him play live, it's it's almost like someone hits the fast-forward button on your television. Because when he zips through the neutral zone at full speed, they, it's wild to see a guy move that fast and then still exude such skill at, at a high level the way he does. So it's cool. It's it's cool to watch those guys play. It uh, it's fun, uh, and, and it's even even better when you know, your team can find a way to shut them down. Yeah. Like the last the last game we played against those guys, you know, didn't shut them down. I think McDavid still had three points, but you come up and you win that game, and it, it's for me, it's got to feel good as a group to know that you were able to beat those those types of guys because they are so dominant on a nightly basis that, uh, you know, you got to take these little small victories when you can. But, man, it's fun to watch them play. Jamie, we were uh, looking back at the anniversary yesterday of Gretzky being traded to St. Louis. You were a member of the Blues organization at that time. What do you remember about that, playing with Gretzky, just uh, that that special night in St. Louis when the the Blues and Mike Keenan, to his credit, pulled off that deal? Oh my God! I'll never forget my first time meeting Wayne Gretzky. It's it's weird. I was like nineteen or twenty. I think I was twenty years old at the time, and 
you know, we had made the trade for Gretz. And so I, I remember I wanted to get to the rink early that day because hey, I wanted to meet Wayne Gretzky. Like, this is kind of cool. And Gretz was already there and he was sitting in his stall, reading the newspaper, having a coffee. And uh, you remember how the old room was set up where from the lounge, Danny, you could see all the way through oh, to yeah. the locker room. Oh, yeah. And so I was kind of like in the lounge, like poking my head through the doorway, taking a look and looking at Wayne Gretzky, almost like he wasn't real. I, I have no idea what's going on. You know, it's a weird thing that then I remember kind of hurrying up to get changed into my undergear so I could get into the room and act like I was going to get busy. But all I wanted to do is go meet Wayne Gretzky. And so I walked over to my stall, put my stuff in, and then walked over towards Wayne Gretzky and I introduced myself to, hey, Wayne Jamie Rivers, you know, he's like, oh, hey, I'm Wayne. And I'm like, no kidding. No, you're Wayne, huh? <laughs> Didn't know that. And uh, he, uh, it blew me away because he knew stuff about me right away. So when I introduced myself, he's like, oh, yeah, Jamie. He's like, hey, man, you had a great junior career. Hey, wow. A lot of, a lot of points for a defenseman back up in the OHL. I was blown away. They're like, why would Wayne Gretzky even know anything about me for that matter, let alone – anything about my junior career and have an opinion on it. And he did. And I hit it off with Wayne right away. Uh, he was an excellent teammate, obviously a fantastic player, but just an awesome dude, man. Like he was Wayne Gretzky, the greatest player in the world. And he was an easy teammate. If that makes any sense at all. That's so cool. Ribs will be tuned in tonight. Have a great time. Have a great day in Edmonton and we'll see you back here soon. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. Thank you, brother. Jamie Rivers, Blues Analyst on Bally Sports and, of course, a member of the Fastlane here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to head down the stretch with Rock and Roll here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Check it out on our podcast brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Whether you want it on the app or at 101ESPN.com, you can listen to us any time of the day, which is pretty cool, and we're glad that you do that. All right, time for rock and roll. Matthew, what do you got for us? I got a little non-sports thing for you guys because I, I saw this yesterday, and I and it, it just I, I got to ask you guys about this. Have you seen the story about the Wendy's new surge pricing? Yeah. Yes. Wendy's it. is going to add digital menus to all of their uh, – locations by 2025 it's going to cost them 20 million to put in these new menus and all the other things that's going to go into this because essentially what it's going to be is during surge moments when the sh- store is extremely busy extremely crowded or or on the opposite when it's completely dead they will change the prices of certain popular items uh in a in a recent poll done uh people they asked consumers if they consider that price gouging and 65 percent of consumers said yes they do i'm wondering what the other 35 percent of customers think it actually is because this just sounds like price gouging there are several wendy's in the area you are a connoisseur my man i am (laughs) one uh up on page where if there's one car it's a surge and uh, that's just how slow they are. It, it feels like it's a surge. So I don't know how they're going to determine what a real surge is. Especially, and nothing against Wendy's. Love Wendy's. Great mm-hmm. burger. Now, I will say, Wendy's was at its best when they had the yellow wrappers on the burgers. Yeah. That was like prime Wendy's right there. Yeah. So what will count as a surge? Just specifically lunchtime, they're going to add an extra dollar. And it is probably around an extra dollar. Does this go back 
to the employees because they're saying this is a lot on the employees and we want to make sure that they're oh, getting rewarded. Oh, they're not going to raise compensation for their know. employees. I'm this saying, is about raising profit the margins. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, the, the, only comments, the only comments coming from Wendy's have been about their projected increases in profits. Mm. There hasn't been a single comment on how they're going to try to re- turn this back into the employees so that they don't get overwhelmed well, or they're compensated when they're getting overwhelmed at 1 a.m. in the morning during, you know, on a Friday night or what, what have they're you. They're open at 1 a.m.? Some like 11, 11 p.m. Like, that's pretty late now for most fast food restaurants. There's not a lot that are open after, like, 10 o'clock. So, like, if you're open at, like, 11 p.m. on a Friday, I want to pass two Wendy's sometimes when I'm coming back from certain games, and I'll see both of them with a line around the entire building at 11 really? o'clock. Really? Yeah. I was going to say if Taco Bell did surge prices at a certain time, Taco Bell would also do well. then they would do really well, and people would deal with it. Why just have a business where you really when you have a surge you're still super efficient and you get people through the line in a blink like a chick-a-fil-a there you go <laughs> thank you very much if randy randy loves chick-fil-a which i i enjoy because i do as well and they're very efficient there's a whole system and it's too long for me to explain to break down how it specifically works but one there's actually a way within their employee program to grow within the program there's also a chance for you to get college scholarships i mean there's a lot of opportunities that they present to their employees that makes sure that you would want to stay there ted drews does that a lot of kids Mm -hmm. went and worked at ted drews and worked for years and uh, ted drews was able to put them through school that's awesome it's awesome yeah i had a lot lot of buddies that uh, benefited from that and by the way I, I was not joking earlier. I literally have spent, as the only car in line at Wendy's, I've spent 15 minutes waiting. Yep. So I don't know what they determine what a surge is. They're making it fresh for you, Randy, right then and well, there. That's great, but what if I'm the fourth car in line and it takes me an hour? Then that's a surge? I don't want to pay more well, because I'm getting my food slower. The fun part's going to be when you're behind a when you're behind a car and you can see the menu and you can see that the Baconator is like seven ninety nine, and then in the time that mm-hmm. that car pulls up and then you pull up, the Baconator is going to go from seven ninety nine to eight fifty nine, and you're going to have to wonder, do I break this menu in front of me right now out of pure anger? Hmm. It is a tasty burger. Hell of a burger. It's price gouging. Like let's just let's let's call a spade a spade. Like this isn't well, dynamic. The dynamic pricing. It's dynamic pricing. It's, that's that's price gouging. Well, no, it's saying because demand. we're more busy, we're now going to charge yeah. you more than our advertised price. Is price gouging. The, the core of our economic system is supply and demand. Yeah, but there used to be some limits to that. Well, but, but look at the NFL. If you're That's the all NFL, I'm saying, right? That's all I'm saying. saying. Yeah, if, if you're the NFL and you see Super Bowl tickets going for $8,000 on the secondary market, why should you be charging 500 But isn't that why they tried to calm down scalping in, in, in like the 90s and stuff before secondary markets became like the regular they thing? Tried, isn't that why but, they tried to tamp down secondary it, markets? It didn't work, but here, here, why do the Cardinals charge more for Cubs and Yankees and Red Sox series? Supply and demand. Supply and demand. Supply and demand. Yeah. And, and so I, I have no problem with supply and demand as long as the product is good. I, I just don't understand how a surge is going to work at Wendy's. I wish somebody would explain that to me. And we can my, find out by tomorrow. Let me say, the Frosty is great. That's going to be one of the items that gets surged, by the way. Oh, yeah. And, and the burger is great. So um, it's You not, do have a great burger. I, I don't have a problem with their product. I have a problem with their service. Mm. Randy's had some very personal experiences here. You can yeah. tell. It's, yeah. It hurts you. But that's part of the product. And you're, and you're going to be thinking in your head, if you're just a consumer, you're going to be thinking in your head, well... I already am kind of annoyed by this, how long it takes me to get this one burger for this price. Am I willing to pay an extra dollar for the burger if the service is still what it is? What's Dave have to say about this? I bet Dave's pretty mad. I don't think he is. I bet Dave's grandchildren aren't.
I have another <laughs> question for you guys. Okay, we've got a minute. Sometimes I wonder why you even put this information out there if you're Wendy's or another company, because yeah. honestly, when I go there, unless it's like a big dramatic difference, like $5 added or $10 added, if we're just talking about $1 or $2, do you honestly know off the top of, the he- of your head the exact price of a Wendy's burger? No idea. Clueless. So then yep. why put out a story that you know is going to get you a lot of scrutiny like that? Right, yeah. <laughs> Just do it and it's then like, see if anybody yeah. notices. Talk about making the dollar menu the $2 menu, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Come on. Just, <laughs> just don't advertise <laughs> don't, it. Don't say it. Great job today by our producer, audio, video engineer, the one, the only, Matthew Rocky. Thanks, sir. <laughs> Pleasure. Uh, Brooke, did you have fun today? Yes. That's good. Daniel, you are sensational again. You want to see your face? You want to see my face? You see my face? Thanks for the donuts, man. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, yes. Danny Mac always taking care of us. Pleasure. Temptation donuts. Yeah, we got pleasure. pleasure. See? And uh, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great hump day, everyone. That's right. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.